Good evening, and welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 190, Gone versus Volkov, also known as UFC Vegas 30. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me, as usual, is Keith Schillen. Keith is the executive producer of the Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network, as well as the Sherdog Radio Network, where he is the creator and host of numerous shows, including the Schillen and Duffy Show and MMA Legacy. Do I have the name of that second show correct? It's MMA Legacy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, we just had our first episode with uh, with Hori and Gracie. I haven't really promoted it around because I was promoting around the the Kayla Harrison one because she got yeah, her fighting this yeah. week. But yeah, uh, if you if you love old school stories, stories about the Gracie and stuff, make sure you check out that show. And I have said this a couple of times on this show, but you may be hearing it from me for the first time. If you are a fan of old school MMA and you think you know everything about insert name of fighter or historical figure here, you owe it to yourself to listen to Keith's programs because he has been able to pull information out of people like Jens Pulver and Sean Shirk that I thought I knew front and back that surprised me as a long, long time fan of the sport. So hi- highly recommended. Cool. Thanks, brother. Yeah. At any rate, let's uh, let's talk about this card. I, I'm going to say something going in. I, I, you know, I took a glance at this card, you know, you know, three weeks ago, you know, like right after UFC 262, you know, which I covered in person. I'm like, OK, let me kind of plot out my next month. What's coming down the pike? I looked at this card and I was like, this thing is awful. And even as I started doing research, watching footage and kind of putting together my notes for this, I started off going, this card is awful. As I went along, it gets better and better on paper. The problem is that this card is super, super backloaded. Like the first four fights, I think there's like one fighter who's above 500 in the UFC. This, there could be a long cut list at the end of this one on, on our recap. But once you go further up the card, there are good fighters. There are fights that have uh, divisional ranking implications. The headliner, I mean, we'll get to it later, but it's a very, it's a likely title eliminator. You know, there's every possibility that whoever wins that can probably sit and wait for a title shot once things shake out. Like, the, the card gets better and better as we go along. Um, like, agree, disagree? Got any feelings on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, the, a couple of things that point that I want to point out kind of just jumps out at me is, is and this is an ongoing theme I say every single week, just the amount of international fighters, the amount of countries represented. I mean, we have... Every country, it seems like, on this card. Russia and Brazil, Canada, Sweden, England. But then, no, yes, but then, like, also ones like Lithuania and Bosnia yeah. that have, like, one or two fighters <laughs> in the UFC, and they're represented, too. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, there's ones that I didn't know which country it was, so I didn't want to say. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> the Demir Hatsovic in Bosnia. And, yeah, so that, that really jumps out to me. Uh, I don't think it'll shake up the rankings too much. Obviously, the main event... Uh, there's the, the very intriguing matchup between Barcelos and, and Timor Valley. If that's one I'm, I'm interested in the rankings, um, you know, Moicano still in there, Jay Harbert, like there's not too much on the ranking sense, but this is what I want to say. We have 13 fights. What's the easy fight to pick? Uh, Avila versus Stolyarenko. That's about the, I like, dude. if you're calling an upset special on that, <laughs> And, and it plays, I will send you a bottle of whiskey. 
You, <laughs> you, but Ben, you have a short memory, my man. They were already supposed to fight each other. Yeah, remember? They sure were. Uh-huh. Do you remember my prediction? Did you? Oh, well, we don't want to give away our excitement, but oh well. All right, so buckle up because it sounds like Keith's got some upset picks. So do I. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a fun night of fights or fun night of picks anyway. I don't know how fun the recap is gonna be. We'll we'll see. Uh, you ready to dig into this one? Yeah, let's do it. Man. All right, let's kick it right off. Uh, we we fired off with Yancy Medeiros versus Demir Hadjevic in a lightweight matchup. I had to check that because Medeiros has, of course, bounced back and forth between weight classes. It is taking place at 155 pounds. Medeiros, the 33-year-old Hawaiian, is 15-7 and seven with one no contest overall. He is 6-7 and seven with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, he comes into this fight on a three-fight losing streak, although, in fairness to him, those losses have been to the uh, 2018 version of Donald Cerrone at welterweight, which was kind of Donald Cerrone's last gasp as a contender level fighter, Gregor Gillespie, and uh, most recently Lando Venata last February. So he's coming back for the first time in almost a year and a half. He is on a three fight losing streak and he'll be taking on Hadjovic. Uh, as mentioned, the guy who goes by the Bosnian bomber, one of there may be two Bosnians in the UFC right now, or he may be the only one, but he was the first. Uh, he is 13 and six overall. He is three and four in the UFC. He is on a two-fight losing streak, having dropped fights to Christos Yagos uh, back in June of 2019, and then most recently, last March, uh, lost to Hanato Moicano, who fights later on this card by rear naked choke in just 44 seconds. Uh, odds on this one fairly close, but Hadjovic is the slight favorite. He's minus 140. You can get Medeiros at plus 120 or so. Uh, something that is going to crop up as... Uh, narrative a couple times on this card there are some fighters on this card that for the longest time they were the you know win to lose one win to lose one type of fighters that just seemed like they were going to hang out on the roster forever because they're entertaining you know they're a familiar name familiar face but you know somewhere along the line they started losing two and winning one and all of a sudden their back is against the wall Yancy Medeiros is one of those Ovent St. Pru whom we'll get to later is getting into the same territory uh, the, I mean, the question for me with Medeiros is he, he keeps getting older. He's a guy that has wanted to fight at welterweight numerous times, you know, going back to your lighter weight after a long layoff into your thirties, it, it leaves me worried about him. But even before then, he just hasn't looked good in his last couple of fights, you know, Cerrone and Gillespie both, you know, blew him out, but they're just better fighters than he is. Lando Venata last year, that's exactly the kind of fight that Yancy Medeiros used to be able to pull out. You know, Medeiros is a little inconsistent. Venata's incredibly inconsistent, has questionable fight IQ. You know, so he's just a, supposed to be a lesser version of Medeiros, and instead he was a greater version of Medeiros. That's what worries me about him. Uh, Hadjovic, plenty of question marks about him as well, obviously. He's coming off of two losses. Again, to two very good fighters in Christos Yagos and, and Hinato Moicano. But I, I think he's probably closer to his prime self. And even though he's 34, he's actually older than Medeiros. I feel as though he's in his prime and maybe even still getting a little bit better, you know, between fights in a way that Medeiros is definitely not. 
So I'm leaning towards Hadjovic just as the more known quantity here. He can also, he, he's able to lean on his wrestling. It's not great, but it's good enough against uh, poor defensive wrestlers. Madeira still falls into that category. So, I mean, give me Hadjovic in a fun fight, but in a fight that's quite possibly a pink slip derby, he's not going to make it as fun as, as we might want because he just needs to win this damn thing and not lose his job. I predict that he's going to turn to his wrestling and probably at least the second and third round. He's going to be the fresher guy. He's going to be getting the takedowns. And uh, it's going to be a tough discussion about Yancey Medeiros uh, Saturday night. Yeah, this is, a like, like I said in the top, it's it's a hard fight to pick. Um, Yancey Medeiros is, is one of the weirdest fighters in the UFC and is that he had this like little minor push by the UFC. But it was like a mediocre fighter. Like I never understood the push. Like I never saw the talent. I ne- he was never on this like great, great run. But suddenly he was getting matched up with Dustin Poirier, and you mentioned Donald Cerrone, Gregor Gillespie. Like he was always in some pretty marquee fights, and I, I don't really think he earned it. I mean, he, Cer- I know he had a th- good. Pardon me for interjecting. The Cerrone fight was was a headliner. Headliner, yeah. Like in three fights, he's gone from headliner to curtain jerker. Yeah, and they had this weird thing about him and and Cerrone being like friendly and like. I don't know, kissing kissing people's grandmas and stuff, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Um, so Madeiras, like I said, he, he's always a mid to low level UFC fighter, in my opinion. Um, he he is a big lightweight, as you mentioned. Is he's you know he's fought at welterweight, he's long and lengthy. I, I promise, I I stop talking about people who switch stances because everyone does it. But he's one of the guys I have to point out because he constantly switches stances. He's kind of slow. He loses a little power because he throws some arm punches, some holes defensively, particularly keeping his chin high in the air. He's a bit of a headhunter. We've talked about this in the past with his with his boxing. He 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 looks to go to the head a lot with his boxing, does focus on the body with his kicks. I actually think his body kicks probably is his best weapon. He has been gun shy at times where he hasn't thrown out enough, which is so crazy to think about a guy who's the main training partner of Max Holloway, who 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 is you know known for his insane? I mean, look at the Calvin Cato fight, the insane output he can do. He'll throw single shots. Uh, he will wrestle. He'll, uh, but I wouldn't call him a wrestler. And as you pointed out, I would say he's probably a weak defense wrestler. I'm not as so I'm not as far down on his wrestling. It seems like you be, but I agree. I would put him in the weaker category. Uh, move over to Hasvik. One thing when I was watching film on uh, Hasvik. Is the commentary team always talks about how strong he is? I don't see anything particular which says, "Oh, he looks really strong," but it's something they always co- you know comment on. So I don't know if that's just a rumor. People who've trained with him, rolled with him, might say it, and it kind of gets you know passed to the commentary team. But they always talk about how strong he is. So I'm assuming that's true. So he constantly moves it forward. He has good output. He he throws strikes right down the middle. I love his step in knees. Uh, defensively, he fights by the high guard defense, but he backs straight up on the center line. And a lot of guys had success. His last fight, Chris Osiagos, had a lot of success because Hasvik was always kind of dead right in front of him. Uh, he will sneak in a takedown, but I actually think he's a, also a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, Diagos uh, took him down very easily. Go back to – he did get back up. To his credit, he got back up in that fight. But the fight before that, Hanato Moikano, he didn't get back up because Moikano took him down and submitted him extremely fast. So as far as prediction goes – Right out the gate, this is a hard fight, and it's a hard fight to pick simply because I don't have any trust in either one of these guys. When you have two lower-level UFCs, two guys, as you mentioned, fighting for the job, possible pink slip, probably being on our cut list, a loser, it's hard to have faith in them. One guy I said 
can be gun shy and the other guy has good output. And that alone is breaking it for me because I know that Hatsvix could at least put himself in position with his output. Like, I don't know if he's got the skills to hang, but if it's a close fight, he's going to have the overall strikes thrown in his favor, most likely. So with that, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take the slate favorite and demand Hatsvix to, to end his losing streak. I'll take it by decision. There you go. Two picks for Demir Hadjovic in your opener at UFC Fight Night 190. Next up at UFC Vegas 30, it is a featherweight matchup between Charles Rosa and Justin James. Rosa, the 34-year-old native of Peabody, Massachusetts, is 13-5 overall. He is 4-5 in the UFC, having alternated wins and losses since his debut all the way back in 2014. He fought most recently last uh, February, dropping a unanimous decision to Derek Minner at UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis. He takes on Janes, the 31-year-old uh, Michigan native by way of Las Vegas, is 16-7 and seven overall. He is 1-3 in the UFC uh, after making a spectacular uh, debut, knocking out uh, Frank Camacho in 40 seconds at UFC on ESPN Blades versus Volkov last June. He proceeded to lose uh, three fights between then and the end of the year to Gavin Tucker, Gabriel Benitez, and, uh, or sorry, most recently this February, uh, Devontae Smith, uh, who beat and bloodied him up into a doctor stoppage in the second round. Uh, odds on this one do favor Rosa. He is minus 170. You can get James at plus 150 as the, the moderate underdog. Keith, uh, it's two more fighters who were below 500 in the UFC, and at least in the case of James, are almost certainly fighting for their continued employment. Uh, considering that Rosa is about as homegrown a product of CES as you can get, I'm definitely going to throw this one to you first. Who you got and how? Yeah, the... You got Charles Rosa, the Boston strong guy who's got the Boston strong nickname, but hasn't lived in New England in like 10 years. Uh, oh. um, <laughs> I, I I lived in upstate New York for like six months. Uh, and and I, I should call myself like, uh, you know, the Ithaca, the Ithaca man. Or something. <laughs> I, I, I lived in um, the same hometown where, uh, uh, Kyle Dake, who's wrestling in the Olympics. He, uh, the same small little, little rinky dink, no name town of Lansing, New York. So shout out to Lansing, New York. I lived there for uh, a little, little while. And uh, hopefully we get a gold medalist as I think that's going to happen. Anyways, back to, back on track. Uh, Charles Rosa versus Justin James. Another hard fight to pick. Um, Rosa. I, I, I always like to take a jab at Rosa. He's actually a fantastic dude. He, I, I just joke about him training down in Florida. He's he's constantly back up in New England. He's he's got the connection with the Lausanne gym, and he's playing. He's a great dude. Um, anyways, if you can't bust a guy from Boston's balls, who who can you? Um, uh, Rosa, he's got this karate style to him, where he also switches stances a lot, like uh, sideways stances. He's pretty elusive. He's got good movement, a lot of different attacks, a lot of variety. I would say his boxing's a little limited, though. He like he's not going to win a boxing match. His hands are kind of slow. He throws single strikes with his hands. He's open to counters. We've we've mentioned this in the past because he likes to see what he's landing. He very he like admires his work a little bit, and he's taken a lot of damage recently. I think about the Bosniak fight. He got landed a lot of shots at the Shane Burgos. Burgos was walking through landing power shots. 
the last was it the last two fights, Bryce Mitchell and, and Derek Minner both put a beating on him. Um, and he also leaves his hands very low, so leave him, he's got to take some shots. Uh, but he's got a lot of kicks. A lot of kicks he uses, keeps the kicks from distance. He just stays busy with the kicks. Like he he's he's got a very good output for someone who throws kicks. Like it's never you're not really most people aren't known for kicks, but you have to get through that if you want to get on him, you want to turn it into a grappling match, you want to turn it into a boxing match, you gotta get through his kicks. And, and that's a very difficult thing to do. Uh he will shoot for a takedown, though, as I as I mentioned uh in the last fight. He's not a powerful wrestler. I would actually say he's a weak defense wrestler. He's Brazilian just to black belt, but there's levels to black belts. I mean, we saw that in his last two fights. Bryce Mitchell and Derek Minner were on much different levels on their grappling. He has got submissions off his back. I go back to the the you know another fellow New Englander in Boston when he caught Manny Bermudez with a submission, and that was a time when Manny Bermudez was really known for his grappling. Uh, and he likes leg locks. He'll he'll go for leg locks. It, I think that's a negative thing and you know, it's, it's nice to have as a hail mary but he looks at it as a as an offensive tool and i've never thought of leg locks i think it actually puts you in bad positions um keeps you on the ground when you should be working up move on justin james a a guy that's in the ufc that is just a nice story for him to be in he like he's not a great athlete he, he he's he wasn't this guy whose name was jumping off the charts in, in the regional scene just a like lunch pail kind of guy that would hang out with Alexi Olenek, just one of those guys. Like I, I just feel like without knowing anything about Justin James, like he just, I just think he's like, like good at fixing cars and and like he, like if if him and Charles Rosa drank a beer, like Justin James can chug a beer better than Charles Rosa. Like he just, Justin James can drink a beer. Anyways, uh, on the feet, he's very aggressive. Got a very brawling style. Good power. Mostly just a boxer, not much kicks and knees, elbows. So like he's, if he stays on the outside, that's gonna be a big, big problem for him. But he does well to slide in the pocket. He understands where he needs to be, and when he slides in the pocket, he unloads big shots. Uh, a lot of the shots are looping punches. He loads up. I think he kind of telegraphs it, and he does get tired because all he does is throw power. And he has some, he, he makes some technical mistakes. Where, like, for example, we talked about last time, he, he'll throw a lead uppercut, which, if it lands, it's nice. You know, everyone thinks about Junior Joe Santos landing this huge uppercut from, you know, South America coming up. But it also, don't forget when Chuck O'Dell tried the same thing as Rashad Evans. Like, it's a very dangerous thing. It's, it, it's if you land it, it's good. If it's not, it's bad. Um, but if he gets in the pocket, he's got some power. He's got some speed. Um, he's kicking crack. Um he leaves. He's he doesn't block very well. Like his body is open, his leg kicks. But grab Gabriel Benitez tore up his legs with kicks. He has a wrestling background, though we don't see it often. You know, oftenly, uh, especially offensively, he does defend takedowns, looking for a guillotine. Like he's aggressive with his takedown defense. He's trying to make you um, uh, lose. But his sub defense is is kind of bad. I mean, he was submitted by Gavin Tucker, not. You know, not that short time ago. So this is a really tough pick. Um, I'm I'm on the fence. Like I, again, as I said last time, I don't have a lot of confidence. Charles Rosa has has beaten the better competition, I think, of these two. But Charles Rosa has a lot of wear and tear on him. I've seen his his chin get cracked. And Justin James is going to get in that pocket, and he's going to throw some big shots. And I, I think if he can get past those kicks, I think he can land some some hard shots. I don't know if he's going to put out Charles Rosa. Charles Rosa is tough as nails. 
But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with an upset. Like it's my first upset pick, and I'm gonna take Justin James to land enough shots. I think he might fade late, where Rosa will kind of come on strongly. But I think it might be a little too late. Uh, and I think not only does James win, but I think this might be the last time we see Rosa in the UFC. Well, all right, uh, upset picks uh, just c- coming coming right out of uh, Keith Chillin tonight. Uh, I absolutely get where you're you're coming from there. Uh, James is a scary guy in the pocket in boxing range when he can wing his, you know, wing his just big shots. Some of his like ill-advised like lead uppercuts. The problem is like his boxing range. He is he's a short kind of broad squatty guy with short arms. I mean, kind of reminds me of uh, well to make a Boston reference, Alex Karalexis. Uh, you know, that sort of like little squatty T-Rex man build. Uh, I, that, that's going back, man. How, how many people hey, think I had to like pause this show and look up Alex Karalexis? I hey, love it. Though. Continue. You, Sorry. You better pause and Google the original Von Flucho because the victim was Alex Karalexis. There, there you go. That's, there that's you go. Uh, yeah, to me, it's, it's pretty much a question of can Janes get into that range consistently against Rosa? Uh, Rosa... You you made it you know you said he uses he uses plenty of kicks on the feet he likes to stay at distance you know he likes to be on his bike a little bit use kicks that just kind of frustrate you he throws a good volume of kicks most of them are not wind up you know full crow cop type kicks they're I'm I'm hitting you here hitting you there just my thought is that I don't think his footwork is great but it might be a little better than Jane's I picture Jane's just coming kind of charging at him and Rosa being able to you know, kick, slide out of range and kind of stay clear of stay clear of danger enough to win a decision. That that's it. I mean the other the other outcome is the one you're calling for where James succeeds in in getting inside and either puts him away or hurts him bad enough to, to put away rounds. I could see either happening. I am gonna go w- with Rosa here. But if you're right, if James beats Rosa, certainly if he beats Rosa badly, I agree with you it might be the last we see of of Rosa. Uh and the reverse is almost certainly true. I mean, I was surprised when he got a, a fourth chance in a row. So we will see what happens on Saturday. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 190 undercard, we head to the Bantamweight division for the long-awaited and briefly postponed Battle of the Julias. It is Julia Avila versus Julia Stolyarenko. Avila, the 33-year-old Californian, is 8-2 and two overall, she is 2 and 1 since joining the UFC back in 2019. Most recently, she de- uh, dropped a unanimous decision to Sajari Eubanks at UFC Fight Night Watterson versus Hill last September. That put an end to the two-fight winning streak with which she had joined the promotion, those being uh, a unanimous decision over Pani Kianzad back in July of 2019 and a quick and brutal uh, TKO of Gina Mazzani last June at UFC on ESPN 10. Uh, she'll be taking on Stolyarenko. The 28-year-old Lithuanian is 9-4-2 overall. She is 0-1 in the UFC, uh, dropping her debut last August to Yana Kunitskaya by unanimous decision. Avila is, as of the time of this preview, the uh, longest favorite on the card by a pretty decent margin. She's out there minus 350 or so. You can get Stolyarenko at uh, plus 290. The the sports books that are making these odds, you know, or the the betters who are driving the odds into this direction appear to feel the same way I do. 
that Avila's fight against Eubanks was an aberration rather than the norm because the Avila that made her way up to that fight, uh, you know, before the Eubanks fight, punts Julia Stolyarenko. Uh, I mean, Avila, you know, she came out of uh, Invicta. She looked great in Invicta. I mean, her before the Eubanks fight, her only loss was you know, this 45 second freak finger injury where her finger got put on sideways. I mean, and you could argue that at least outside of her first fight or two, she hadn't like really even run up against much adversity. And that included beating, you know, Nico Montano right before Montano went and won tough 26. Then she gets into the UFC, you know, handles Panny Kianzada, former featherweight who just won, uh, you know, last week and looked good. She, knocked Gina Mazzani all the way down to flyweight and then just kind of hit a wall against Eubanks. To me, the question is what, what got Avila to the dance is her physicality. She's, I mean, she's not super tall and she's not super broad, but she is, she's strong. She's athletic and she's hyper aggressive. Uh, she's not exactly the same, but it kind of reminds me of early uh, Diego Sanchez in the UFC where he's a good enough striker, uh, very good wrestler, you know, good grappler, brutal ground and pounder. But what drives it all is that they're, just, you know, she's just like a Tasmanian devil, just very aggressive and generally stronger and more athletic than her opponents. All of that went away instantly against Eubanks. I mean, there there were three stories in that fight of three rounds. First round, Eubanks slammed her all over the place. That was an eye opener because that's what Avila usually does to other people. Uh, second round, you know, Avila got taken down. She you know, throwing up some pretty good submissions. And Eubanks is just countering these submissions by just ripping her arm out, you know, just like brute forcing her way out of submissions. By the third round, Avila's still trying submissions because she's still getting taken down. And Eubanks is basically just ignoring them and countering an arm bar by like hitting her in the face with the other arm. It was, it was disrespect. The bully got bullied. Um, basically, it, it means one of two things. Either that was just a bad night at the office for Avila or just a bad matchup or we have seen a ceiling for Julia Avila against fighters that she cannot overwhelm with physicality. I think that's what we're going to start finding out this Saturday. I'm choosing to believe that it's the latter, or that's the former case. Just bad night at the office, bad matchup. In Stolyarenko, we have someone that is, she's not a great athlete, you know, at least by UFC Bantamweight standards. And she is about as, about as one-dimensional a fighter as you will find at this level, like in, in like a, a major promotion. She's almost a throwback that way where it's like armbar or bust. I'm picking Julia Avila to, I mean, I think she's going to get the better of things on the feet. And I think she's going to be able to take Stolyarenko down. I don't think she's going to get armbarred. I think she's just going to beat her up on the ground. Give me Julia Avila by uh, second round TKO on the ground. All right. So I, I get the same notes I had when we were broke this down last time. I didn't change it. I didn't do more film study. Uh, so I, I will read everything I said last time, just in case someone didn't watch it last time. Uh, Avila, she's she's a big bantamweight. She, as you mentioned, uh, you know her physique. She's more of a brute than she is an athlete. She, uh, I, I like a Diego Sanchez. Is he was never like the most technical guy, 
just kind of overwhelmed you. She's got high volume striker, good jab on the feet. I mean, she's a good striker. She throws combos. She just walks through punches. She hits very hard. She does keep her chin high in the air, which is an issue, but no one's hurt her enough where it's been an issue. She throws a nice high kick, mean inside, step in knees, step in elbows. She can wrestle a little bit, clinch takedowns, uh, but she's a weak wrestler herself, taken down by Eubanks, really struggled to get up from on bottom. She was attacking with subs off her back. She did almost triangle Eubanks twice, uh, but I, I don't think she's a submission threat. She has one submission win on her record. And to me, you talked about Stellarico being one-dimensional, and I, I 100% agree. Well, I don't, I don't know if I 100% agree, but I, I understand where you're you know, where you're coming from. Like, if she wins, it's going to be on the ground. It, I feel the same way with with Avila. If she wins, it's going to be on the feet. Like, she's not going to outgrapple Stolarenko. Now, Stolarenko, she's a large bantamweight, uh, especially when she doesn't make weight, especially when she almost passes out, as we saw last. I mean, she, I'm actually, no, not almost, but she did pass out. Yeah. Um, it, it was one of the scariest things I've seen. Uh, but I don't – I try to stay away from – Everything else other than the X's and O's. Because we've seen it where suddenly we pick against a fighter because of a weight thing. And then the next time they weigh in, Yolo Romero, Davis and Figueredo, insert whoever, they make weight fine and they look and they look great. So what do I think of her as a fighter? She's very aggressive on the feet. I'll give her that. She She's a bit flat-footed. That goes back to the athleticism you talk about. She's not a great athlete. She drops her hands. Very unorthodox with the striking kind of herky-jerky Keith Jardine style. But she throws hard. Uh, it's wild. She's very hittable. She kind of runs into punches. But she can hurt you. Uh, throws tons of, of high kicks. She just throws a lot of high kicks. You don't really land them, but she throws them. Uh, I love that she clo- tries to close the distance with a Superman punch. Uh, it's something when I when I first started training in MMA, it was something I like to do when, as a wrestler in me. I didn't, you know, you don't want to get punched in the face, so throw a Superman punch to close the distance. Uh, but in the clinch, she's not a bad clinch striker. Uh, she likes elbows inside there. Uh, her her fight against Lisa Ferrosa is one of the most bloodiest fights in history. Um, though the clinch is what I used to be the strength based on her judo background. She got beat up in the clinch bad by Yana Kunaskaya, so maybe it's not as, as strong of an area that I thought it would be. Uh, she will jump guard, uh, which is not a good thing against many people, but maybe in this case, I, I don't hate it. Uh, she'll try an Imanabri roll to get the fight to the ground. But as you mentioned, she is a kind of knockoff Ronda Rousey where she is an on-bar specialist. But she's shown that she has cardio. Like, good to go 25 minutes. She's won 25 minutes in Evicta. This is a tough fight to call. Avila's really good on the feet, uh, but she showed some holes. Stenarco is tough on the feet because of her power and aggression, but she isn't very technical. If she gets the fight to the ground, she can end it. I thought it was a little bit of an omen when I was breaking that down. Like I picked Storylenko in one of the biggest upsets I've ever picked. And I thought it was an omen like, hey, idiot, you're going to look really bad when when because this is going to go one of two ways. Either Storylenko's going to submit her or she's going to be a punching bag that it is like 10, 8 rounds. It's real bad. So which side am I going to go with? And I really was like, like an omen, like I was saying, hey, idiot, like change your pick. And I, I changed my pick. And then I go, Keith, you're not a bitch. You made a pick upset. <laughs> I mean, make it like, like 
fake it. Like like how at the beginning of the video, I forgot to put, <laughs> I forgot to put my uh, green screen on, and all he saw was a green back in instead of seeing the uh, the New York's beautiful skyline. Uh, now I'm back rich again, man. I bet on Storylinko, so now I got the beautiful apartment. So <laughs> I'll call this my upset special. I'm gonna say she gets to the ground and she lands that on bar. So I think she's like a plus four hundred underdog. And I'm saying she hits. Give me, uh, give me Starlinko. My first, uh, no, not first round. I'll go, uh, I'll go third round submission by an armbar. I don't know what they drink to celebrate in Lithuania, but I'll find out and send you a bottle if this one pays. That's there. You that's have my, it. it. That's my second upset pick. I got more. Two coming. upsets in the first three fights. One of them for the biggest underdog on the card. Uh, you can never say that this man lacks the guts or the courage of his convictions. We now head to the light heavyweight division for a matchup between Marcin Pracnio and Ike Villanueva. Pracnio, the 32-year-old Pole, is 14-5 and overall. He is 1-3 and in the UFC, and he is the reverse of Justin James. Uh, he lost his first three, got a fourth chance, and, and won. I believe he may even have been like released and quickly re-signed or been left in limbo or something like that. But he came back and fought Khalil Roundtree in January, took a unanimous decision over him. Uh, and here he's back with a chance to make the most of this UFC run. He will be taking on uh, Villanueva, another uh, COVID-era opportunist. The 37-year-old Houstonian is 18 and 11 overall. He is 1 and 2 in the UFC. Uh, he dropped his first two fights. In the UFC, uh, first at heavyweight on ultra short notice to Chase Sherman. Uh, he got knocked out early in the second round there, then uh, got bludgeoned and bloodied into a doctor stoppage in about 90 seconds by Jordan Wright last August. Uh, came back in January and knocked out Vinicius Moreira with pretty brutal knockout early in the second round of their matchup at UFC on ESPN Chiesa versus Magni. Uh, Practio, pretty comfortable favorite here. He is minus 210. You can get Hurricane Ike at plus 175 if you fancy. Uh, Keith, who do you have in this one? And how do you think the fight plays out? Ben, this is this is your Houston own, right? Houston's own. Oh, I gotta give you the honors, my man. You, you gotta right. go first. This is your boy. I'll I'll jump right in. Uh Ike Villanueva, 37 years old. I mean, he is what he is. And I'm not saying that he is not making incremental progress as a fighter, but he is what he is. He, he is doing the things that brought him to the dance. I mean, the thing about him was he came into the UFC. Yes, it was on short notice, but it was also on the back of just completely brutalizing two UFC veterans in Roger Narvaez and, and Rashad Coulter. Uh, he's a boxer by preference. He will throw kicks, but boxer by preference. He has pretty fast hands uh, on the... I mean, on the regional scene, he has crushing power. I think he has above average power by the standards of a UFC light heavyweight in his hands. Uh, his footwork is slow. I mean, he's, he's slow afoot. He's plodding. I mean, even if he were a plus athlete, it's the rampage style of thing where he's kind of shuffling around like a boxer, but he's, he's not super light on his feet. Uh, not great at checking kicks. He's a bully in the clinch at the local level, at the... Uh, UFC level, Jordan Wright, a middleweight by preference, just completely mauled him in the clinch. That was stop. That was a cut stoppage, but he got cut by Wright kneeing him in the face a million times. Uh, his way to victory over Procneo is to charge at him and wing some hooks at him. That's what he does. 
if that's going to work against anyone in the UFC light heavyweight division, it's Martin Pracnio. Uh, you know, Pracnio's, I mean, his first three losses in the UFC were all KOs. And uh, I mean, one of them was completely conducted on the feet. All of them, the mauling started on the feet. But, you know, much as I love Ike, much as I think he's a fantastic story, you know, uh, I do see Pracnio. And I'm not even going to say Procneo like hangs on for a, you know, that he like hangs on for a decision victory. I think he's probably going to catch Ike charging in. Ike knows what distance he needs to be at to win this fight. Procneo would prefer to fight slightly more of an out fight. He has more weapons in the arsenal. Uh, if he gets throwing kicks, Ike doesn't check him. Uh, you know, it'll make me sad. Uh, you know, I'll buy him a beer the next time I see him, uh, you know, around town, but Give me Martin Pracnio by uh, third round TKO just from an accumulation of damage. You know, Ike's going to give it his best shot and go out on the shield. There you go. You can't you can't call Ben a homer at all. <laughs> um, I'm intrigued by this fight in, 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 in a sense. Like, it's going to be fun. Like, Ike Villanueva doesn't fight boring fights. So he's got he's got Like you mentioned, he's got to charge forward. And it's going to be fun. Uh, Pracnio, karate style, but he's not the athlete that most of the karate guys are you know like even like Charles Russell we already talked about he's a much better athlete now I obviously I'm comparing a you know lower weight class guy to a higher weight class guy so I understand like, even little apples and oranges but I mean in their perspective weight classes like Procneo is not really a great athlete which is funny he's kind of slow his boxing is pretty ugly though it did look like he looked much better in his last fight but usually he just kind of swings um and sometimes he doesn't have that big of an output I do like his leg kicks, though, you know, coming from the karate style. But he drops his hands when thrown him, and he's going to get knocked out for that. I mean, he's had a lot of problems with his chin already. He's been knocked out three, I think it was three out of the last five fights he's been knocked out. Uh, he likes to clinch a lot, which might be an area where he found success, like you mentioned, where Villanova got beat up by um, Jordan Wright in the clinch. You mentioned Villanova's age, 37. It's light, light heavyweight, so I'm not too concerned about his age. But... Not a great, you know, a, a minus athlete, not a plus athlete, a minus athlete. But he's a striker. Um, I ta he taxes, as you mentioned, he taxes in spurts, throws combos, his left hook being like his big money punch. He does have power, as you mentioned, 14 KOs, including a KO in his last fight. Um, he has some huge defensive holes, lacks head movement, back straight up, had no answer for leg kicks, as you mentioned. Chase Sherman had a field day with like kiss against him chin i wouldn't it's not the issue that pracnio is but it's concerning he's got five ko losses i mean someone was a little deceiving like the jordan Wright was a cut and stuff but if you watch that fight it looked like he was got his way to get knocked out if, if they continued uh bad grappler not no, no wrestling at all no offensive wrestling at all he doesn't have a single submission win in his long career which is which is surprising uh you don't just like fall into a submission so Procneo is a much more technical, like, I, sh I shouldn't say that after I kind of just dogged on his striking, but he's a, definitely, a I think he's more technical sound. Um, he has the higher ceiling. That said, he has chin issues. And Ike Villanova can crack. And I know you live in Texas, but, dude, don't forget that I just visited Texas. I'm going to do my best Lee Corso. Stand up, Texas. Your boy <laughs> Ben didn't back you up. 
I'm calling the huge upset. I say Ike goes on a winning streak. I'm going to say he wins by first round knockout. Let's go. Heedy ha. Let's go. Ike is going to win by first round knockout. The only way that could be better if, is if that was a Bucky's hat. There you go. Keith Schillen putting me to shame. They're not even they're they're gonna kick me out of Texas. I, I should have had my Bucky's my Bucky's t shirt. Next <laughs> next show put the Bucky's t shirt on. Next up is a welterweight matchup between Warley Alves and Jeremiah Wells. Alves, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 14 and 4 overall. He is 8 and 4 since joining the UFC as the winner of the third season of the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. He fought most recently uh, in January, taking a, about a half a round to get knocked out, or sorry, to knock out Munir Lazes, kind of putting a quick end to what seemed to be one of the more promising breakout uh, stars to come out of uh, 2020. <clears throat> he will be uh, welcoming Wells to the UFC, the 34-year-old uh, Philadelphia native is eight two and one overall uh, as mentioned this is his ufc debut uh, he is a veteran of both uh, cffc and uh, new england zone ces alves a uh, strong favorite here as you might expect he is minus 205 you can get wells around plus 165 or 170 as the underdog uh keith remember when warley alves looked like a you know future title contender and you know looked like a guy that was gonna be uh, he, he's going to be here to stay and he was going to be a serious factor in the division i can't believe he's still only 30 years old i just when i looked i expected him to be like 35 because it feels like he's been in the ufc so long and i feel like some of the bloom is off the rose and i'm not sure exactly why because it's not like yeah. he's lost to bad people so talk me off the cliff how does this fight go does warley alvis remind us like just how much promise he had you know five years ago yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned that. We did talk about Wiley Alves' age last fight. They're like, wow, he's way younger than we expect him to be. Um, he's weird. Like, one minute fight, he looks terrible. The other fight, he looks fantastic. And last fight, I thought he looked fantastic. Um, he had good movement. He's pretty elusive. Um, I wouldn't I would never say he has fast hands, but he hits. He cracks. Like, he, he lands hard shots. I love that he goes to the body. Got good leg kicks. I think of the Lazez fight, he really was kicking out the legs. Sergio Moraes fight was another fight that he really targeted the legs. Uh, he can grab the clinch and just grind in there. That's a position where if he's getting tired, he can just kind of lean on you. His grappling is good. He's a BJJ black belt. He's got some slick back takes. Uh, if he ends up on top, hard ground and pound. Though he is a legit grappler, though. Like, I, I just talked up his grappling. He was sub subbed by Randy Brown in a fight that was like really smart. That's like the low point. Like, it's like he's like a roller coaster. You never know what you kind of get with him. Um, he did. He's shown signs where he goes hard for 50 minutes, but he also showed signs of wearing down. Um, I mean, James Krause fight was a fight that he was really gassed out by the second round. Move with Jeremiah Wells. Jeremiah Wells is a guy that I've been calling to be in the UFC for a long time. I wrote an art for when I used to write for a different uh, different media outlet. I wrote, I don't know why the, the editor made me pick eight fighters, but it was eight fighters the UFC signed. Kind of weird, but uh, I picked seven of the fighters. There were Editor picked one and made me write this person. Uh, you guys can figure out which one that one is. But anyways, uh, I'll move on. <laughs> I'll move on before I get myself in trouble. Uh, um, uh, well, I like Wells. He's he's well rounded. He he's short. He's you know he's a short welterweight, only five foot nine, but he's got a long reach. He's got seventy five inch reach. 
He fights out of both stance. He charges forward and throws a hard shot. So he he has a very Yoel Romero sit back, sit back, sit back, and then explode style. He loves spinning attacks. He loves flying knees. And he just has raw, God-gifted power. Like He touches you. He breaks your face. Uh, he broke Gary Gary Belletto Jr., who's you know who's a nice prospect out of New England, a Rhode Islander. He he broke his he broke his jaw with one punch. It put him out. Had Gary Belletto had to have multiple surgeries. Like Jeremiah Wallace touches you, like he can put you out. He he throws everything hard. He's a solid offensive wrestler, solid defensive wrestler. He's taking this fight on short notice. He trains on a really good team, a team that I think has been on a rise for a long time. And uh, Henzo Gracie Philly, that's Sean Brady's team. Yeah. Uh, I believe Daniel Gracie's the one who, who, who was Dan, yes, yeah, Daniel Gracie's the one who runs that runs that team. Um, there's other guys I know. Paul Felder trains out of there occasionally, you know, and um, I don't know. I, there's, there's a couple other prospects off my head, but it's, it's just it's a really good rising team. <sighs> this is a tough, tough test. Wiley Alves is a tough, tough test in your in your UFC debut. Um, if Wells had problems with leg kicks against. Uh, Vinicius de Jesus, the one that lost in the title in, in CS. In the same fight, there was a very low output. So I'm worried about a little low output sometimes out of Wells. I'm worried about not checking leg kicks. I'm worried about the UFC jitters, short notice. You know, there's a lot of things. High praise on this guy. This guy that I, I've been pumping up. I know a bunch of other people have really been pumping up this guy. I think he's been a, he's a good addition. I think he's not going to be a 500 fighter in the UFC. Like, I think he's going to be better than that. Um, similar to, like, a Wally Owls, like, you know, I don't think he's going to be a top 15 guy, but I think he'll be, you know, hovering in the top 30-ish. But this is a step up in competition. Um, and good Wiley Owls is a really scary dude. And I think good Wiley Owls shows up. I think he kicks out the legs, and I think he wins, uh, he wins a unanimous decision. So give me Wiley Owls by decision. Outstanding. I, I'm glad that you are kind of as high on Wells as I am, because I remember thinking of him as a, you know, as a really promising prospect, you know, uh, you know, probably three or four years ago. And then he disappeared for basically all of, uh, you know, last year and I kind of fell off my radar. I'm glad to see him in there. My concern, same as you, is the shortness of the notice. You know, he's not tall, but he is a burly guy. My question is, you know, is he having to make a radical cut to make 170 in time for this? But it's it's so hard to bet on Morley Alves because you pointed out he's one of the most Jekyll and Hyde fighters in the UFC right now of a guy that is, you know, so high level of a guy who, you know, effortlessly guillotined Colby Covington, you know, in one of his first fights in the UFC of a guy that just like destroyed Sergio Moraes, of a guy that stopped the Munir Lazes uh, hype train. My thought is that Wells uh, comes out, you know, and kind of with that that reckless abandon of the short notice guy who knows I cut 25 pounds this week. I have four minutes to finish this thing like comes out guns blazing. That's. I mean, that's still a way to put Morley Alves out of his out of his game. He handled Lazes, and I'm not going to claim I picked that. I thought Lazes was going to style all over Alves, but. Munir Lazes is a fantastic striker who really wants to, you know, fight patiently, snipe from distance. Like, Alves is built to handle that. Like, he can handle something that's not, like, just 
getting him out of his comfort zone, you know, quite quite that way. I think Wells comes out and just makes a huge splash here by knocking out the tough three winner. Give me Jeremiah Wells by first round knockout. This I'm not going to call this my upset special because I know it's a, a bit of a flyer, but I just as I watch these guys' fights, I see it happening in my head, and I'm going to be I'm kicking myself if I don't pick it, and then it happens. So give me Jeremiah Wells by first-round knockout. Wow. Man, how many fights in a row have we disagreed on? I believe that is four in a row. Wow. And you went the upset. I think I got well, I got three upset picks already, but you got another upset pick. I've got, yeah, I've got uh, another upset here. Like That's the Let's thing. Go. Like we're, we're differing on some people that are – you know, some pretty long odds. So this is what I like about this card. Like the hard fights to pick. Yep. Hard fights to pick. Even the ones where, you know, someone's a two to one favorite. Well, that's what makes this fun. We stay in the welterweight division for a matchup between uh, Kazakhstan prospect Shavkat Rachmanov and the still here, Michelle Prezeris. Rachmanov. The 26-year-old is 13-0 overall. He is 1-0 in the UFC, having made his debut last October at UFC 254 and run right over Alex Cowboy Oliveira, uh, choking him out with a guillotine in the closing moments of the first round. He'll be taking on uh, Prezeres. The 39-year-old Brazilian is 26-3 overall. He is 10-3 in the UFC. Uh, he fought most recently all the way back in February of 2019, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Ismail Nardiev at UFC Fight Night Blahovich versus Santos. That snapped an eight-fight winning streak for this man in, well, across two uh, divisions, as he has fought at lightweight as well as welterweight. But uh, the combination of the loss and the long layoff, perhaps promise that people see in Rachmanov, make uh, Prezeris one of the bigger underdogs on the card. Uh, Rachmanov is minus 275. Prezeris are out there around uh, plus 230 or plus 235. Uh, as we were preparing to talk about this one and we were you know, off air, you mentioned that you kind of forgot that Michelle Prezeris was a thing. I'm the same way. And it is because he is a forgettable dude. I don't know of any nice way to say this, and I'm not saying anything about him as a person, but as a fighter, he's a forgettable dude. How many guys get to 10 and 3 in the two toughest divisions in the UFC, rack up an eight fight winning streak in two of the best divisions in the UFC, beat some good fighters? I mean, he's beaten Gilbert Burns, beat Maribek Tysimov. Like, he has, like, and then just you forget all about him. There are a couple reasons for it. One, like, his personality is wallpaper paste, you know, just he. Uh, his fights are wallpaper based. Like, there's a reason the UFC buries this dude on the prelims. Like, it's just not fun to watch him fight. He's like a little Brazilian Sean Shirk or, or something. Just, you know what you're going to get out of him. He might choke somebody if, it, well, it's, it's kind of like, a, not really Shirk, it's like a really squat John Fitch. Like, he's going to take you down, he's going to grind you out. If you're bad enough on the ground, he will choke you. Like, if you give him your neck or you get so tired, he will choke you. But otherwise, he's just, Perfectly happy to take the, you know, the 30-27. That's Michelle Prezeres' game. Uh, I'm surprised he's 39 because he's the opposite of um, the, he'll be just about the opposite of uh, Warley Alves. Warley Alves. I just figured Michelle Prezeres would be like kind of like 34 
for like 10 years and just be in the UFC kind of filling up undercards. I sound like I'm really down on this guy, and I kind of am. Like, I'm not a dude that just just bleed. Like, I love ground fighting, but I love ground fighting when there's something happening. A lot of times there's just not much happening with him, especially at welterweight. Like, he's so short at welterweight, and while he is a strong, strong guy, you know, they like Tractor is a very good nickname for him, but tractors aren't fun to watch. They move slow. Like, uh, his, <laughs> I mean, you take that back. <laughs> I mean, Nardia or uh, 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 route to victory here is to take his opponent down and uh, establish top position and win rounds or possibly get a, a submission. I'm not picking that to happen against Shavkat Rachmanov. Now, I underestimated uh, Rachmanov coming into the uh, Alex Oliveira fight. I picked against him. Just I saw, I saw the tape. He looked impressive and actually against some decent opposition. But I've just seen too many undefeated prospects coming from, you know, kind of Russia and the former Soviet republics with undefeated records. And when they get to a North American promotion, they look physically different. Insert your own interpretation there. And the change in level of competition is just too much. And I thought Alex Oliveira is a really, really tough first ask. Shavkat Rachmanov ran him over. Like, it's not just the guillotine choke. It's that he just, he threw him around. Like, he completely just bullied him in the way that very few people at lightweight or welterweight have ever done to Alex Oliveira. That completely closes off, to me, Michelle Prezeres's, uh only route to victory. Like, he's not going to take Shavkat Rachmanov down and just, you know, hang out in half guard for whole rounds. Uh, Rachmanov, I, I mean, he, he's a willing striker. You know, uh, you'll get into more of, of his striking game, you know, than I will. But, you know, l likes long punches. Uh, he does like his, his kicks. But what he really wants to do is take people down and either beat them up or choke them out. Uh, here, I think he might just go ahead and lean on his stand-up game. I think he's just going to ding the hell out of Prezeras on the feet. Prezeras will come charging at him, won't be able to get him down. And Rachmanov will either hurt him really bad on the feet and then jump on him for the finish or uh, just clean, knock him out. Uh, on the feet. Uh, but give me Shavkat Rachmanov by second round TKO. And, you know, kind of a chicken uh, one to lay this on, but this is my lock of the night. I don't see Prezera's winning this one. Wow. I'm still shuffling, trying to find my bet of the night. I, I'm, I'm, uh, so I'll start with Prezera's. So, we, you know, we haven't seen him for two years because of USADA violation. Uh, real shocking that that guy uh, was taking. Oh, I shouldn't say was taking, but I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. But uh, this is one of those ones. Not too surprised that he he popped hot. I mean, he just look at him. Uh, but let's talk about his style of fight. So his on the feet, he's got tight boxing. He has that classic uh, Chad Mendes. I think Sean Shark was a good impression. He boxes similar to Sean Shark, tight. Uh, he presses forward, though he doesn't press forward with his punches. Like he'll throw a single strike, but I think he kind of intimidates people when they back up to the cage for him. Uh, he tends to load up on everything. Uh, he was hurt by Nordiov in his last match. Two years older, I don't expect his chin to get better. Um, but he's insanely strong in the clinch, even at welterweight. He's got. So you talked about Cal uh, Cowboy Oliver, like his wrestling gets thrown around. The different styles of wrestling, though. Like, uh, Oliveira is more of a clinch guy, chest on chest. Uh, while Prezeris can do that, he also has a lot of entries. 
and he's relentless in his takedowns. He's very good at chaining takedowns together. His top, he's got good top control. He is a Brazilian, Brazilian just to black belt, 11 submission wins. He really likes to attack the head. Uh, guillotine choke, like he guillotine choke for Vatos Provinsky. He um, likes Darces, like those. He likes those tight, you know, where he's got short arms kind of thing. Um, I rewatched the Nardia fight because he was a big favorite in that fight. And then Nardiev beat him. And I remember thinking, like, oh, wow, Nardiev smoked him. And then I rewatched it. And I was like, wow, actually, it was pretty close until the closing minutes. And that's when Nardiev kind of pulled away, uh, which made me, like, go, like, wow, I feel better about Prezeris than I remember. Now move over. And now he's 39, so that doesn't make me feel better. But move over to Rachmanov. You mentioned M1 global champion. He just turned 26 years old, so you got to like that. Like, he's so young. He's well-rounded. He's very composed on the feet. Uh, doesn't really tense up. Works behind a jab. Really nice snapping punches. Will attack with combinations. He goes to the body, which would be a big thing against, uh, you know, a guy moving forward like Prezeris. Uh Defensively, he makes some mistakes by pulling his head straight back. Uh Wrestling wise, or he clinch, he likes clinch takedowns. He looks for upper body clinch takedowns. We saw him, like you mentioned, throwing out Alex Oliveira. Uh, if he's on top, good top control, four submission wins. Really haven't seen too much of his takedown defense. He really hasn't, he hasn't fought a power wrestler like Prezeris, where a guy who's going to be chaining takedowns, turning the corner. If Prezeris is still the fighter we saw last fight two plus years ago at 39, I don't know. So it's a really intriguing fight. The line says Rockmoff should murder Perseris, but Perseris doesn't get murdered in fights. He's even in fights he loses, his style that John Fitch style says is gonna give him moments. He's gonna frustrate you. He's gonna get you against pinned against the cage. He's gonna um get a takedown. He will he be able to hold you down? I don't know. But man, this this is a, you're locking this in. I don't feel that way about Michelle Perseris fights at all. Like he's He's one of those guys I forgot about him, and then I started watching him. I'm like, wait a minute. Not only like did I forget him, but he was a thing. Like he had a nice run for a while. He was starting to like I don't know if he was ranked, but he was like putting together some wins and I mean he beat Gilbert Burns. I mean, this is I mean, that was a much that was the, the low point of Gilbert Burns, not the not the rising, but uh, you know, still a you know, nice win on your resume to tell your grandchildren one day. I haven't seen enough in Rockmanoff where um his striking looks fantastic. Absolutely. looks fantastic. I understand why everybody's on this guy. It, it looks, But I haven't seen enough of his defense wrestling to be extremely confident to lock him in as my lock of the night. And this is going to be my fourth one, man. <gasps> I'm taking Braceris, man. Until someone can show me they stop a takedown. I'm gonna, I, know, I know maybe it's the wrestler in me, but I'm taking the plus, I don't know, what is it, 280 or whatever he is. And this is not even my biggest upset. I, I picked a, a big one, but I'm doing it again. This is my fourth upset pick of the night. I'm going to take Braceris to get some takedowns. I think it's going to be extremely close. Might have a split decision. Braceris, you know, sprawled out underneath Rockmanoff at the end of the fight. You know, Michael Bisbing saying the wrong guy clearly won. Uh, but <laughs> give me uh, give me Braceris, uh split decision win. Wow. So you and I have differed on the last five fights in a row. While we each have, you know, some underdogs, you are getting the big underdogs on, on your plate. Like, this is going to be a fun event to watch. Unbelievable. That's my fourth underdog. <laughs>
That brings us to the top prelim of UFC Fight Night 190. And top is an appropriate way to describe it, as it is, uh, I am pretty sure, a tie for the tallest fight in light heavyweight history in the UFC. It is Kennedy Enzichukwu and Danilo Marquez. Uh, Enzichukwu, the 29-year-old uh, Nigerian by way of Dallas, is 8-1 uh, overall. He is 2-1 since joining the UFC uh, out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series, actually his second uh, Contender Series appearance. Uh, he lost to Paul Craig by third-round triangle choke in his debut because that is what Paul Craig does to people, and then defeated Darko Stosic and Carlos Olberg uh, in his next two appearances. He'll be taking on Marquez. The 35-year-old Brazilian is 11-2 overall. He is 2-0 in the UFC, having beaten Kadis Ibrahimov and Mike Slow Rodriguez uh, in his first two UFC appearances. Odds are pretty close on this one. Uh, Enzichukwu, the slight favorite at minus 125. You can get Marquez at even money or even plus 105 out there. Uh, six foot five, Enzichukwu, and six foot six, Marquez. I brainstormed this with Sherdog associate editor and all around stats guy, Jay Petri. The only one we can think of that even ties it is six foot uh, five, uh, Alexander Gustafson, and six foot six, uh, Surreal Diabate. So, that's it. I mean, this is taller than Jones versus uh, Gustafson, oh, which yeah. that says a lot because the, in their first fight, literally all the UFC had to sell it on was that, hey, here's a guy that's taller than John Jones. Like, like that was the whole selling point of the fight. Yeah. And this one is even <laughs> taller than that. So, uh, so what you're telling me is you're promising we're going to have like fight of the year candidate like we had in John Jones and Alexander Gustafson. What are you telling me? I actually think it's going to be a hell of a fun fight, but I'm definitely I not picking Jones versus Gustafson one. <laughs> uh, I'm going to uh, kick this one to you with a two-time contender series uh, graduate for sure. Who have you got in this matchup of the tall striker and the tall grappler? Yeah, so another intriguing fight. Like We joked about it being Gustafson and Mr. Jones, but if this is still fight of the night, that would not surprise me at all. Um, as you mentioned, two massive human beings. Um, Kennedy's also not massive, just tall, but he's... He, Every time I see him, he just like, how is this guy not a heavyweight? Like, and not even when I look at him, I don't go like, how is this guy not a heavyweight? But like, how is he not like a big heavyweight? Like, how is he not like two fifty? Yeah. No, exactly. He just, yeah, he looks like a two hundred and fifty pound guy. Totally. It's like it's totally like I, I I I I've I've told this about you know I cover fights and every time I see D uh, Diego Lima and I'm like, how the hell are you a welterweight? Like, you look like a heavyweight. Like you're that big of a dude. Um, uh, that's what I feel about this guy. Um, he, what I like about him is he's a high volume guy. He just marches forward. He's busy, uh, busy jab, but he fights similar to another fighter on this, on the fight where he's a tall guy, but he doesn't really use range. He likes to use his height in the clinch area. He likes using, he wants to be able to throw knees in there. He wants to be able to grab the back of your neck. And a guy who does that similar is Tim Means. Like Tim Means is always a taller guy, but never keeps his range. He wants, he actually likes that, close battles um he's starting to find his power we saw that in his last fight against Carl orberg i mean he's a guy that he just looks like he should have huge power but i mean that kind of showed you that power comes from technique first but he's starting to get that and then the rawness of the, the strength um he has tall man's defense though he keeps his chin high in the air he lacks head movement just pulls it straight back which is which is the problem he also pillars which i don't i i I've said this many, many times. You're probably sick of me hearing it. I believe pillaring works 
uh, good in boxing. It it's I would even say adequate in MMA. I'd say like below average. It doesn't really. It's a, what I mean by if you know what I'm talking about. It's the Tito Ortiz effect. This is pillaring where you hide behind your arms. You do a lot of this. In, in boxing, you have the big boxing gloves. It helps a lot better. You can kind of crunch up. You're not worried about leg kicks. You're not worried about elbows. You know, it's a little different. But that's something he does. I don't like that. But I like his front kick. I love that he throws that. I love his step in knees. I love that the clinch is a strong point to him. His plumb style with his knees and elbows are good. I like that he's sneaking in takedowns. He isn't a wrestler, but he's he's adding takedowns to his game. Heavy, heavy top pressure. Good ground and pound. He just kind of has long elbows and hammers fists. He just throws some things. It's hard to, you know, we have a big guy like that on top of you. He's not a submission threat, though. His takedown defense is bad. Uh, he is hard to hold down just because he's just so big and strong. Um, but he has good cardio. Move over to Marquez. Marquez is unathletic, low output on the feet, very unorthodox, herky-jerky style, uh, hard leg kicks. He really makes no disguise about it that he wants to get the fight to the ground. He uses his his long arms and just reaches for a takedown. Doesn't really shoot. He has a very snatch single type style. Um, if, if you know what I mean, like that's you see a lot of heavyweight wrestling. You kind of like in, in, in like heavy wrestling, you like pop a head, step to the side, snatch single. It's very like that. He like likes to reach. Michael Kessler for someone like he actually has a very snatch game where he doesn't really shoot as much. He more likes to reach with the long arms. Uh, John Jones actually does it a lot when he rest when he wrestled. He had a lot of snatch game. Guys with long arms, Kessler, John Jones. Daniel Market works with these guys. Um, he will pull guard though. I don't know if you want to do that. I don't know if you want to be underneath a guy like Kennedy and Chuko. While yes, and Chuko is very raw, <laughs> he still has you know clubs coming down on you. So I don't I don't know if you want to do that, but he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt that trains with Damian Meyer. I don't know if Damian Meyer is his I don't know if he's in the lineage of Damian, but he trains with him. Regardless if Damian Meyer is his guy or not, that's still probably the greatest grappler in MMA history, or at least he's in the club. Uh, he had some really slick back takes against Ibrahimov. He has five submission wins. He did just slow down Ibrahimov, didn't rush to take down, very Damian Maya style where he wasn't rushing the submission, waited for something to develop. Uh, and I like that. I like that style. So who wins? This is another extremely hard fight. Uh, pre-tape study, I was taking Kenny and Chukwe, and I'm switching and I'm just going to go with the guy that I think is more seasoned. He's not seasoned on the feet. And Chuko could very likely could just starch him on the feet, very likely could be on top and just throw down some hard ground and pound and finish it. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if we have a knockout from a ground and pound position. But if Marquez gets him down, gets on his back, I don't know if, you know, in Chuko, he's been very composed when he's been on the ground. Like, he hasn't panicked. But I don't know if he has a Damian Maya black belt on him and he gets out of it. And someone who's going to match with his length. I'm going to say Marquez catches him. I'm going to say Marquez catches him in the second round. This is my fifth offset pick. Give me Danielle Marquez. I tell you, Danilo Marquez, I apologize. That is your fifth upset pick. That will be the sixth fight in a row that we are picking differently. And I am going to hate myself for this one come Saturday night because I can completely see it going that way and the the ultimately the dynamic will be the longer this fight goes the more nervous i will be if insachuku wins this i mean if i were the type of betting man that would bet on this fight and hell no but if i were the type of betting man that we're going to bet that was going to bet on this fight i would take the prop on 
uh, Nzuchuku by first round knockout. I think that's going to be his time to do this. As you said, he's composed on the feet. He is a better striker in basically every way than Marquez. Better reach, especially with his legs. Like, he's not in PFL, so I don't know what his leg reach is. But I assume, like, the inseams of his jeans are, like, 40 inches. Like, <laughs> you know. Uh, and like you say, while he doesn't use his, his height well overall in his, you know, uh, in his striking, his use of the front kick does reveal that he recognizes, okay, I can kick somebody before they can get their fist, like, within 18 inches of my face. Um, so that's one good thing he does. I like that he does that. Uh, lots, you know, plenty of power. Uh, and as you pointed out, he's coming into his own with power just as his mechanics get better. But, yeah, like, if this gets out of the first round, uh, just the longer it goes, the more nervous I get. Uh, neither guy has shown a real gas tank problem. Like, both of them have... You know, they have adequate light heavyweight cardio. I, you know, neither of them is like a cardio machine, but I kind of expected Marquez to have bad cardio just as a Titanic guy who's been off for years and is, you know, in his mid thirties, but it's been perfectly fine, at least for the two opponents he's faced so far. So yeah, the, the later this goes, it's going to go to the ground sooner or later. And if it's later, you know, I think that favors Marquez. I can totally see it going the way that you're, you know, that you, you've laid it out. But I am going to take the other most likely outcome, which is that Kennedy and Zutuku catches Danilo Marquez with something or with several things on the feet in the first round. Maybe Marquez, you know, shoots a, a desperation takedown, manages to get it to the ground, but uh, he's already compromised. And Zutuku is dropping those, like, supersized John Jones elbows on him, and this thing's over in the first round. The main card of UFC Vegas 30 starts with a lightweight matchup between Renato Carnero and Jai Herbert. Renato Carnero, the man who goes by Moicano, is 32 years old from Brazil. He is 14-4-1 overall. He is 6-4 in the UFC. He fought most recently uh, back in December at UFC 256, getting knocked out by Rafael Fiziev uh, late in the first round. Uh, he takes on Herbert, the man from uh, Greater Birmingham, I believe it is, is uh, 33 years old, 10-2 and 2 overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, he joined the UFC out of Cage Warriors, where he had been a standout, took on uh, Francisco Trinaldo at UFC on ESPN 14 back in July, and got knocked out in the third round of what had been a great back-and-forth fight. Uh Odds in this one do strongly favor Moicano. He is minus 240. You can get Herbert around plus 200. I'm going to be honest. I, I, I'm always honest, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to be honest in, 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 in saying I only realized this, I think, very recently. I don't know that Moicano is actually that good. I feel as though, in my mind, as well as you know, probably some other fans' minds, he's been skating along for quite a while on the goodwill of having beaten Calvin Cater and Cubs Swanson back to back. Cause when he did that and the way he did it made him look like a top 10 guy now and a title contender soon. But once he got to that level, he was just completely overmatched. You know, Jose Aldo Korean zombie kind of showed what this looks like. Uh, Rafael Fiziev who, Hey, the guy is a super prospect and specifically he's an outstanding striker, but you can lose to Jose Aldo 
in Chan Sung Jung and still say, hey, you know, I'm I'm still a top 10, you know, maybe borderline top five guy. You can't get blown up by Rafael Fiziev in four minutes and still be at that level. So I'm jumping off. I, I jumped off the, the Moicano train here. I think he's just another guy at 145 or 155. I would say that at his age and given what his game runs on, he's probably better off at lightweight right now. You know, at, at 145, just he he looked dehydrated and hatchet-faced. He doesn't especially use his crazy length and reach to any special advantage on the feet, so why bother? Just go be a lightweight. <clears throat> Herbert? You know, I just said that I, I question whenever a hot prospect comes out of, you know, like Eastern Europe and, you know, Central Asia, just... I, I've been burned too many times. When somebody comes out of Cage Warriors looking great, I actually usually like feel pretty good about him. I felt good about Jai Herbert going into the Trinaldo fight. I still felt good about him afterwards. Yeah, he got knocked out, but Trinaldo hits like a truck, and Herbert absolutely put him on, put it on him in the second round. You know, I was like, man, this is a, this is a breakout debut, and I mean, his face got broke out, but you know, I, I still felt pretty good uh, about that one. And that's not something that. Moicano is going to do to him like you know Herbert's been knocked out he's been hurt on on the feet he's been hurt on on the ground and put away but he's a pretty good grappler he's a much I think he's a much better striker than Moicano he's even bigger than Moicano is like he's a tall guy does it really, I mean, you, you just talked about it with Kennedy and Zichukwu where he's a tall guy but he doesn't use his height in the traditional tall guy way like, he doesn't want to fight from range. Uh, I mean, even against shorter fighters, he's the one kind of closing the distance, crashing the pocket. He wants to hit people with volume. He wants to nail them inside with short stuff. He's fine grabbing the clinch. Uh, I think he's just going to... I think this is going to be a... Not a coming out party. I mean, it would have been a coming out party if he had crushed Ronaldo in his debut. But this will be a nice way to get back on track. And it's going to be just the continuation of the slide for... Uh, for Moicano, give me Jai Herbert by first round knockout. Like, I think he's just going to overwhelm him. It's going to be over quick. Wow. That's a huge pick. Uh, so this one, I, I actually really agree with what you're saying. Moicano. I don't know if he's just another guy, um, but I do. I, I don't know how I feel. I should say like, I, I 100% understand where you're coming from. And to me, this is like the fight. Like he gets knocked out by Jai Herbert. Uh, one, hey, Jai Herbert's good. And McConnell's just another guy. But if he beats Herbert like he beat, say, uh, the guy in the open fight, the Bosnian guy, uh, what's his uh, name? Hadjevich. Demir Hadjevich. Demir Hadjevich. Yeah. If he beats Demir Hadjevich that style, then you go, wow, we know Herbert's been pretty good. Look what he did against Trinaldo and McConnell ran through him. Yeah, he had that Jeremy Stevens win. He looked, the, the you know, the fight that really jumps out to me is the Cal Makeda one. I think about Brian Ortega. He lost that fight, but he was winning it. Um, there was one or two other fights that was like big, big wins for him at the time. I think uh, he beat Zabira Tukugov when Tukugov oh, looked looked like a future top ten guy. Yeah, and Jeremy Stevens, Cub Swanson, those are two, you know, good quality veteran guys. So he's he had good wins, but yeah, when it's bad, it's been really bad and like knocked out early. So yeah, this is this is the the guy that there's a lot of pressure on Hanato Moicano uh, if he wants to be relevant in the division. So I think he's well-rounded. I do. I, I think he has a moist style, style striking. I think his boxing is decent. Like, I wouldn't say it's great. Um, 
he tends to have some defensive flaws. One being that he stands directly in front of his opponent. There's no, he's just very stationary target. He's very Muay Thai, like what I said, he's a Muay Thai striker where he's doesn't really move. Uh, but he has some of the best leg kicks in MMA. I mean, he blasted Calvin Cato with those leg kicks. He's a good wrestler. He's a prestigious black belt. He's got a great submission game. He's got slick back takes, seven submission wins. But as you mentioned, I mentioned, I'm really worried about his chin. He was knocked out by Josie Aldo. He was knocked out by a Korean zombie. Uh, with like the first punch the zombie even threw, he was knocked out by Rafael Fiziev. I mean, that's three KO losses last four. So that's definitely extremely disturbing. Jai Herbert. I tend to think of him as a prospect, but he's 33 years old, which seems like kind of be the theme. Like we, they're different than they should be. Like, wow, this guy's 33, and 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 you want to talk about a guy? Like, I don't know if he pissed off the UFC, but imagine having uh, Francisco Trinaldo in your UFC debut, and then getting Hinata Moicano as your bounce back from your knockout loss. Like, why do they hate about this guy? Like, those are two really <laughs> like that's not who usually who you get. You know, you usually take on a Demir Hatsovich or you know. Um, he's long and lengthy, as you said. He's pretty light in his feet. Uses lots of movement. I, I, I understand what you're saying. When he presses forward, but he, he bounces in and out of range. He doesn't keep range. Like you, I agree with that. Like he, he has a busy jab, so he can, he has the ability to fight from range. He has the tools. He's he's got some good kicks. Uh, he's got some really good snap on his punches. His his right hand is very accurate. He's got good power. He has eight knockouts out of his ten wins. He dropped Trinaldo in the last fight, which is a big accomplishment. Uh, if you get inside, he looks for the slicing elbows. He did take Trinaldo down, so he can wrestle a little bit. Slick back take. He had his back. He had he used his long legs to have a body triangle on. Uh, he was taken down a couple times by Trinaldo, which is which is disturbing. And I mean, he's an Englishman, so I don't expect him to be Habib Nurmagomedov out there. Uh, but I am worried about his chin. Remember, he got knocked out in his last fight. I mean, it was it was a big one. It was a bad knockout. I mean, it was it was the one that Dan Hardy and Herb Dean was started fighting screaming. Like, yeah, yeah. This is that was the knockout because because Trinaldo was standing over him while he was clearly out and not really defending himself. So I love your prediction of, of an upset here. I see it. the The avenue is there. It, you got a guy with a weak chin, with a guy who can crack. The difference is, I still like the wrestling of of. Well, I like the leg kicks. I, I really love the leg kicks, but I like the wrestling. I like the takedowns of the back control of Moicano. And I haven't seen enough of. I've seen I've seen things on the offensive wrestling that I like of Jai Herbert. I haven't seen defensive wrestling. It could very well be there. It kind of seems like my theme to go on the defensive side. Uh, I'm said to, to like pick on guys who, who has holding defense, kind of go with the other, like don't give them the benefit of the doubt, go against them. If you haven't shown me to take down defense, I want to go against you. And I'm going to do it again here. Like McConnell could turn this into a grappling match, heavy grappling match, and I think he just wins that. And I actually think that's what happens here. Uh, so I think McConnell knows the back is against the ball. That's a strength he did when he had two losses, when he went right, at, right looking for takedowns against Demir Hasbrick. I kind of feel like he's kind of the same position, go right to his Brazilian Jitsu dominance. Uh, so we're disagreeing again, and this time I'm taking the favorite. Uh, I am not nearly as confident as the line. I 100% agree with that. Like, this line is way off. Like, this should be close to a pick em. Like, I understand, you know, based on rankings and wins and stuff, why McConnell should be the favorite, but not not as big. This could be like, he should be like a negative 130 to a mm-hmm. pos- positive plus 120. Like, this should be that close. But, uh, yeah, give me McConnell by 
I don't think he submits him. I'm going to say by decision. There you go. The dissension continues. We head up to the welterweight division for a matchup between uh, two men with a lot in common. It is Tim Means and Nicholas Dalby. Means, the 37-year-old Albuquerque native, is 31-12-1 with one no contest in his lengthy career. He is 13-9. Uh, he's 13-9 with one no contest in his UFC career, but that covers two different stints with the promotion as he left and was brought back. He's 11 and seven with one no contest on this uh, trip through the octagon. He'll be facing Dalby. The 36 year old man from Copenhagen is 19, three and one with two no contests overall. He is three, two and one with one no contest in the UFC. And just like means he was released brought back on this trip uh, through the UFC. He is 2-0 with uh, one no contest. However, I mean, visually, in the interest of accuracy, that recent no contest was him getting run over in half a round by Jesse Ronson, who then went on to test positive for the, the whole pharmacy. Uh, odds on this one are close. Means minus 145 as the very slight favorite. Dalby plus 125 as the underdog. Yeah, I mean, this is two guys who had a mixed success run in the UFC, left, have been open about their struggles with substance abuse during that time, have gotten their lives uh, both personally and professionally in order. Uh, I mean, with two stories like this, it's almost a shame that one guy has to lose. One does have to lose, unless we get something really weird. And uh, you're going to tell us who it is. Oh, uh, first, I should say that Means is coming in for uh, Sergey Kandoshko, who who is injured. Should, should mention that. Yeah, and and Means was supposed to just fight on a card uh, like what, two weeks ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like he, you know, it's no. not like they called him off the bar stool. You know, he yeah. was in camp, but yeah. Yeah, but Tim Means, you could call off the bar stool. Like, he's always ready. This guy, well, he's... I don't think he, I don't think he goes to the bar anymore. Like, I no, think that's no. part of this whole thing. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Good, bad example, but yeah, yeah. Uh, from the couch, you can call yeah. Tim Means from the couch. Yeah. Uh, Tim Means, like, I don't know anybody who doesn't like this guy. Like, he's, listen, Tim Means is what he is. Like, he's never going to be ranked in the top fifteen. He's never going to come close to the sure dog rankings. But he's just a fun guy that everyone likes. I mean, obviously because of his story, but even more, just always ready to fight. Uh, and, and Dolby's the same way. Like, I like Dolby too. Uh, I'll I'll show my hand right away. This is my fight of the night pick. I, I think this is going to be a barn burner. I like both their styles. Means Southpaw, not very athletic, makes up for it from just being long, lean, and mean. Uh, pretty technically sound. He's a counter striker. Has a high guard defense. Can be dragged into brawls. Uh, will throw down in the pocket. Lots of kicks. Love kicks up the middle. Uh, also like his low kicks. We talked about the pass that. And we talked about this card that he doesn't use his range. He wants a battle in the clinch. That's where he is. And and I've I've learned to accept that with certain guys. Uh, Stefan Stroop, I never accepted it, but some guys it makes it work, and I'm okay. I've accepted it with Tim Means. This is where he likes to be. He likes to be a dirty. He is the dirty bird. Uh, he's very grinding style. The difference is Tim Means has a chin. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like he can fight there. <laughs> anyway, and, sorry. And he's still like. Tim Means was three inches taller than his opponent, not a foot taller than his yeah. opponent. You know, when you're going against Tai Tuivasa and, you know, and you're not jabbing and deep kicking. Uh, Tim Means, he, he's a grinder in the clinch, can sneak in the takedowns. 
Uh, okay grappler. I actually think it's a weakness of his. Move out to Dalby. Very aggressive. Um, his aggression can leave him open to be countered. Uh, he kind of just walks through punches. Uh, we, we've talked about the passive, his lack of head movement too. But he is very strong. He hits hard, throws a lot of kicks. He likes that Holly Holmes side karate kick. Uh, he will wrestle though. Decent entries, de- decent grappler, has four submission wins. I wouldn't say he's a special grappler. Like I wouldn't say it's a strength, but it's a nice compliment to his game. So who am I picking? This is another fight that I am on the fence. Like this is a really tough fight. I I would say I as weird as it sounds, if it's in close and it's battling, it probably could favor the taller guy, which is a really weird thing to say. Um, but I think I trust I trust I think uh, Nicholas Dalby has more power at this point than than means does. He doesn't have as much wear and tear. Uh, he is, I believe, oh no, he's thirty six. Wow, well, he's another guy who's who's older than I expected. I thought he's going to be like thirty two or something. He is uh, older than I expected. Uh, but I mean, these both both these guys are are, are up there in age, and and neither one of these guys, uh, you know, are thirty six and thirty seven. Not the division where. You know, you you gracefully age, but I've seen to me slow down, and I don't think Dolby has, and I like that Dolby can outgrapple him. So, this is my sixth upset pick. I think we got to have an absolute war barn burner, but I think at the end, Nicholas Dolby is going to get his hand raised, and I actually think he might get a late stoppage. So, give me Dolby by a third round TKO. Outstanding. All right, I uh, agree with just kind of all the the whole dynamic you laid down there. I'd feel better about this fight for means if it were just, you know, a year or two ago. The thing is, he had a style that was built for longevity. Like, sure, he slowed down at 37, but his game never really ran on speed anyway. And being tough and mean uh, and surprisingly strong in the clinch, those are things that don't go away with age. My question now is, what does his chin look like? Because it, his game does kind of run on being able to take a shot. For most of his career, he's been able to do so. Uh, and, yeah, the question is, that Nico Price fight, which is just a little over two years ago, is that just because Nico Price can crack, or is it because Tim Means, to some extent, is cracked? Uh, you know, the, the the Mike Perry fight made me feel a little better, but just Mike Perry's just a shell of himself right now. Like, no comments as a human being. Like, I hope he takes the lesson from Tim Means and turns things around. But as a fighter, he's basically a waste right now. Uh I, I feel good uh, about Dolby in this one, too. Like, we're going to finally, after crisscrossing back and forth for almost this entire card, uh, come together, and it's going to be on a slight upset pick. Uh, I have Dolby in this one as well. I don't have him getting the finish. But, like I said, if this fight were two years ago, I'd probably have Means winning the, the second, or, you know, like the sec- second and third round to win the fight. I don't now. I have Dolby uh, winning them. So, Dolby is either going to take all three rounds or at least the second and third. Give me Nicholas Dolby by decision. The UFC Vegas 30 main card powers on with a featherweight matchup between Andre Feely and Daniel Pineda. Feely, the 30-year-old, is 21-8 and eight overall. He is 9-7 and seven in the UFC. Uh, fought most recently on the UFC's Halloween Fight Night card, dropping a unanimous decision to Bryce Mitchell. Uh, he'll be taking on Pineda. 
The 35-year-old Houstonian is 27 and 14 with two no contests overall. Uh, he is four and five in the UFC across two different stints with the promotion. I mean, his it's almost 10 years from his first UFC fight. It was like in early 2012. Uh, at any rate. He fought most recently uh, in December, getting knocked out in the second round of a pretty fun uh, action-packed scrap, but uh, got the worst of it against Cub Swanson. That uh, blunted the momentum of his triumphant UFC return, where he just absolutely destroyed Herbert Burns at UFC uh, 252. Feely, one of the stronger favorites on the card. He is minus 245 right now, where you can get uh, Pineda at plus 200 or plus 205 or so. It's incredible, like, how well-traveled and how old-school Daniel Pineda is for a 35-year-old man. I Check this out. You know, like I said, he, he debuted in the UFC in, like, January of 2012, like, almost 10 years ago. Uh, he fought at Bellator 6. We're going to have Bellator 261 this Friday. He fought at Bellator 6. Uh, you know, you know, we've got LFA out here as, you know, still probably the premier feeder league to the UFC all the way back when it was LFC, he fought at LFC three, like Daniel Pineda is, he's having one of those careers that you, you don't see that often anymore. Like you, you look at the record of a guy like, you know, Eve Edwards and you're like, holy cow, you know, you fought for all these different promotions all over the place. I can't believe you beat that guy. I can't believe you lost to that guy. Just this incredible record that once Guys like Pineda are gone. We're never going to see anything like that again. Like, we're already seeing the direction the sport is headed, you know, where the UFC is just, it's, you know, snatching six and one guys out of uh, entry-level leagues. Just, you know, the the journeyman career is kind of, you know, going the way of the dinosaur. I don't know uh, Bob Perez, the head coach at four ounce fight club personally. Like, I mean, I see him here at local events, but where I know some local coaches pretty well, I've never said more than hello or goodbye to him, but I'm going to assume that he has a blood pressure issue just by the fact that his top three guys in the UFC right now are Derek Lewis, Ike Villanueva and Daniel Pineda. Like you, you can already tell what a uh, blood pressure problem Derek Lewis would be for like the average coach right there. Pineda is sort of the same way. This is a guy who offensively has almost all the tools. I mean, you you don't get 27 wins and a 100% finish rate without just being, you know, without having the offensive tools. And in light of that, like, how does this guy have a journeyman's record? How is he 27 and 14, you know? And the reason is, I don't feel as though he has much of a game plan most of the time. I think he just takes all his knives and guns and just throws them into his backpack, jumps into the cage, and is like, I'll grab whatever I need. Sometimes it works. When it works, it works brilliantly. When it doesn't work, he loses. And sometimes he loses to guys that, frankly, you know, aren't as good as him or aren't any better than him. Andre Feely, because of that, presents a very interesting opponent to him. Uh, I mean, the best ways to beat Daniel Pineda are to be a more composed striker and just, you know, tag him up during his his wild rushes, which is a lot of what Cub Swanson did to him, or to be able to out-wrestle him, because he is a fantastic submission grappler when it's going to the ground under his, uh, you know, on, on his terms. 
You know, like if he takes you down and gets top position or he hurts you and chases you to the floor, he's an absolutely lethal finisher on the ground. But if you take him down and he's just, you know, playing guard or trying to sweep, his, his grappling goes from venomous to average. Those are not routes to victory that Andre Feely does a whole lot of. You know, I'm sure you're, I mean, you'll break down their X's and O's in more detail than me. But I kind of think of Andre Feely, he's kind of the highest level fighter that I feel this comfortable about Daniel Pineda's chances of beating. Uh, give me Daniel Pineda in this one. You know, it sounds like a homer pick, but I would pick Daniel Pineda in this if, if he were from Maine. Uh, you know, give me Daniel Pineda to exploit Andre Feely's, uh, defensive, uh, you know, defensive flaws on the feet. He's going to hurt him. He's going to be chasing him to the ground by preference. Pineda would rather take, take your neck and choke you than finish pounding you out. So that's, that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm picking. Give me Daniel Pineda by second round submission. And that'll be two massive upsets in his first three fights back in the UFC. Yeah. Gotta love it. So th three things jump out to me while you were talking. One, I had to check again that he had a 100% finish rate in 27 fights. It's at 27 wins, which is one of the wackiest stats. Just one of the most unbelievable stats. Like, I wrote it down in my notes when you said it last time. I just, I love it. It's, I'd, I'd rather have him lose than win a decision. <laughs> like, I just keep, I, keep the... He appears to feel the same way, so... Yeah, like, <laughs> don't let him, don't let him win a decision. Like, that should be a rule. Like, if you make it the distance with, uh, with Daniel Pineda, you, Andre Feely, you automatically win. <laughs> like, that's it. Just, you have to survive. Because <laughs> we're not, we're not putting a blemish on that finish rate. It, it's, it's incredible. Uh, second thing, if he was from Maine, I would definitely pick against him, because that's what I do. And uh, three... I think I I think after you didn't pick your boy, like Villanueva, you felt guilty and you had to take Daniel Pineda. Um, ah. No, uh, I like what you're throwing down. Like to me, this is an intriguing fight. Like I don't think Andre Felix should be some massive favorite. Uh, I do favor him. I understand why. You know, he's for even though Daniel Pineda fought all over the world, Felix had much higher success. He's you know, he's been a guy who's been in the top 15 or at least on that border of the top 15, one or two wins away from, you know, reaching that level. Um, Feely, he, he's a true switch stancer. Like he's constantly fighting from both stances, uses lots of feints with his hands and his feet. Uh, I'd say fast hands, nice jab. I like that he can fight off his back foot. Like he's one of the guys that you can pressure him and he, he does land. In fact, like his step back left uh, from the southpaw stance is. His his best strike. It's very uh, sorry as my as my dog is making noise over. I apologize. He, uh, he's it's very Connor McGregor ish. If you know what I mean by the step back, it's it's, it's the basically the punch that knocked out Jose Aldo. Uh, that's one of Andre Feely's best punches. I'm not saying he's the striker of Connor McGregor. Before people jumped to that, I'm just I'm pointing out like one technique that he does. Uh, really fast high kick. He loves that Robert Whitaker dipping to the side high kick, which we've we spoke to all in the past. I'm not going to break it down, but where your whole body goes to one side and you kind of, so it looks like you're dipping for like going to the body or to a, as I said, I wasn't going to break it down and do it anyways, or a left hook. And then you throw like a high kick on the other side. He likes doing that. I'd say it's plus power. I, I, I wouldn't say he's a big puncher, but I think he, like, he's like, he, you know, cumulative damage. Uh, I think he's got very underrated offensive wrestling. 
underrated. I think, I mean, you go back to the Dennis Bermudez fight when he was like winning wrestling exchanges against a good wrestler like Dennis uh, Bermudez. Nice reactionary double, which uh, helps him win rounds. I think he's intelligent that way. Like he's a he's a round winner. Like we talk about Bilal Muhammad as, as a guy who win, knows how to win rounds. I think Andre Feely is similar. Um, not the best grappler though. Like he's a good offense but He he doesn't have the best top pressure. He he's not a big submission threat. If you take him down, he does struggle off his back. Uh, uh, Sadiq Yusuf took him down. Bryce Mitchell took him down. Had great success by putting him on his back. Uh, something we've talked about. You know, wrestlers putting wrestling on his back is probably his worst position. Mua Pineda. We talked about the last time. Like thirty-five-year-old guy just on this incredible run. It, it, what, what not only is it, it you talk about all the divisions and, and all the promotions he fought in, but being thirty-five years old in the young man's division, that's what's he like even more. This isn't a thirty-five-year-old heavyweight. This, this isn't a, you know like Villanueva at light heavyweight. This is the young man's division, and he's looking better and better. I love like I love the story. He's well rounded. He's a good athlete. He's explosive. He's a bit of a brawler. He he likes to throw hard. You know, obviously by the by the finish rate. I'd say he's a decent wrestler. He's pretty good at scrambles. We saw that in in some of his fights already in the UFC. Uh solid top control, good ground and pound. Uh good grapple. I mean, he out, he outgrappled Herbert Burns, which is a huge huge accomplishment in its own right. He's got eight, 18 career submissions, so like he he can put you up. So I agree. I think this should be a pick'em fight, but I'm going to go with Andre Feely. So we're going to disagree. I'm going to go with Andre Feely just because I've, I've seen his offensive wrestling. I like his offensive wrestling. I, I I think he's intelligent. And then if it goes in deep waters, can um, can he keep up? Can Pineda keep up with the take? You know, trying to fight off takedowns for Andre Feely. I'm not sure yet. I would I would be. Like I'd be happy if Pineda wins. Not 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 that I'm rooting against one guy or the other. But I mean, like I I, I root for the story. It's a great story. But um, I haven't seen him beat someone Andre Feely's level yet. So give me on uh, Andre Feely by decision. Third from the top at the uh, UFC Fight Night 190 main card is a bantamweight matchup between uh, two guys. Possibly on the fringes of, of contention in a very tough division to get ranked. Uh, it's Honey Barcelos versus Tamura Valiev. Barcelos, the 34 year old Brazilian, is 16 and 1 overall. He is a perfect 5 and 0 in the UFC. Uh, he fought most recently in November, taking a unanimous decision over Khalid Taha. Valiev, the 31 year old Dagestani by way of Albuquerque, is 17 and 2 with one no contest overall. He is 1 and 0 with one no contest in uh, the UFC. Uh, though, again, in the interest of historical accuracy, should be pointed out that that no contest was him getting absolutely starched in the second round by Trevin Jones in his UFC debut, only to have it overturned uh, a week or two later when Jones tested positive for cannabis. He bounced back from that with a unanimous decision victory over Martin Day uh, just in uh, February at UFC Fight Night over Reem versus Volkov. Odds in this one they favor the Brazilian uh, pretty strongly. He is minus 225. You can get Valiev at plus 180 or plus 185 as the underdog. Now, Sherdog associate editor Jay Petri, whom I've already mentioned uh, earlier on this program, uh, will not stop making fun of us for the recap in which we talked about Barcelos off his last win and just kind of ran up 
the UFC Bantamweight rankings and just talked about which fighters we might favor him to beat, which ones he had a chance to beat. Uh, he thinks we're way too high on Barcelos. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I know that I am high on Barcelos to beat Tamar Valiev. I'm, I was really high on Valiev when he entered the, the UFC. You know, he ripped through World Series of Fighting and PFL, and he just looked like a guy that I can't wait until he gets, you know, to the UFC and I can see him against, you know, UFC uh, Bantamweights. The, the, the Trevin Jones fight is concerning because, one, Jones was a short-notice opponent. Uh, Valiev completely put it on him in the first round and just couldn't put him away. Ended up getting uh, knocked out badly in one of the bigger upsets and one of the bigger comebacks uh, of, of the year. And then against Martin Day, yeah, he won. He won the decision, but... That decision was Day's fourth straight loss. It, I mean, Day had, for all intents and purposes, been kept around to give Valiev a bounce-back fight. Like, he, you know, he took a decision over a fighter who was, by definition, not UFC level and whom other borderline UFC level guys had beaten much more decisively. So now I'm left wondering, okay, is Valiev just not as good as he looked in PFL and World Series of Fighting? Or is he that good and he just doesn't take it out of second gear, you know, when, when he needs to? Whichever of those is the case, that's not a good recipe against uh, Hani Barcelos. Uh, yeah, I was surprised to find Barcelos as big a as, uh, favorite as he is here because I'm big on this one, but it looks like, you know, the, the odds makers are ahead of me here. I'm not going to pick Barcelos to finish him. You know, Barcelos... Uh, he does have plenty of knockouts on his record, but I'm thinking that the Jones loss for Valia was more of an aberration. I just expect Barcelos to win just by winning all three rounds. Um, you know, uh, he's willing to turn to his, his wrestling. He's going to be the, the better striker. I just don't think there, I, I don't see where Valia wins rounds here, much less like finish Barcelos, you know, who is, you know, taking the best, offense that much better fighters than Valiev have, have had to offer since he's been in the UFC. Uh, you know, we just talked about um, Tractor. Who's the short... Is it, you know you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, and I'm Michelle like, Prezeris. You know, Michelle Prezeris, thank you. I kept wanting to say Pereira. No, yeah, Prezeris. How, you know, he's 10-3 and 3 in the UFC. He's beaten some really good guys. How can we keep forgetting about this guy? I know how we can keep forgetting about Hani Barcelos because he fights about once per year. All he needs to do is win this fight and then turn it around and get back in the cage again soon. And I think we could actually see him like kind of make a run. So take that, Jay Petri. Give me Hani Barcelos by easy decision. And uh, and that's my pick. Well, my pick is that if Hani Barcelos wins, we got to go up the ranking and see who we would beat. We got we to play the Hani Barcelos game again. Yeah. Uh, so I actually hate this fight. And the reason why I hate this fight is I have a man crush on both these guys. <laughs> like these are these are these are both my man. Like uh, I, I've been backing both these guys hard. Uh, as far as the Valley of Loss, uh, the um, what was his Trevin name Jones. Uh, Trevin Johnson. I think it was one hundred percent fluke. I mean, he was putting a hammer on him and got caught. Like I I think that's a one in a million shot. Um, so as as far as these guys' skills, Barcelos. He's a technical striker. He's a pressure counter striker. Uh, though he pushes forward, sometimes he can be a little gun shy. Um, but 
his right hand has some like real snap. He like whips it at guys. Tons of leg kicks. That's that's his game. Kind of very Edson Barboza type where he responds to your shots with a hard chopping leg kick. Doesn't really check leg kicks because he's he, he's heavy on his front foot, so he can kind of turn over his hip. Uh, I'd say great takedown defense. He stops. I mean, he stops some takedowns from um, Sergey Nurmagomedov. Got uh, some body lock takedowns himself. He got some good BJJ. I mean, he out grappled Nurmagomedov in their fight. Nice top control. Uh, he's legit. I don't. I don't know. Jay's talking about. I, I love this guy. Move over to Timo Valiev. Another guy I absolutely love. Very athletic. Constant pressure, high output, technically just a technically sound striker, great head movement, good at just slipping attacks to land power shots. He kind of keeps himself in position, good footwork, constantly changing angles, uses feints well, high variety in straight, goes high, low, targets the body, hurt. I mean, we, we remember when Trevor Jones getting the win, but we forget that like it was like a 10 7 round, the open round. He hurt him to the body with a shot, a lot of kicks. Teep kicks, calf kicks. He can wrestle too. Good entries, good chain wrestling, smothering top control. I, I, I know you. You know, it's a huge step up going from Martin Day to Honey Basolis. Like that is a huge step up. But I, I think you're overacting to the Trevor uh, Jones fight. Like I think he's legit. <laughs> and a lot of those guys that we were doing the game. Like, I got to remember where we stopped Ronnie Basolis. But I'd probably put Team of Valley in the same. I think this line is bonkers, absolutely crazy. To me, this should be this should be the closest line. Team of Valley should not be this big of underdog to anybody in the division. Like 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 a two to one underdog. If he was fighting the champion, I wouldn't have him as a two to one underdog. Team of Valley is good. So is Ronnie Basalas. The one thing I don't like. Is the one time I said that Basalas can be gun shy and he cannot let his hands go. Sometimes he'll just throw kicks and let his hands go. And the other thing with he throws leg kicks, Valiev can get in and get some takedowns, but Basalas likes to grapple. Like he's a very good grapple. We should have some really fun exchanges on the feet, really fun exchanges on the ground. This is a really close fight, but I like the variety in Valiev striking. Like I like that he. Throws his hands, throws knees, throws kicks. He's got everything going for him. Elbows inside, mixes in takedowns. He doesn't just go, oh, I'm winning the stand-up. Let me keep it stand-up. He adds in takedowns. Like He knows how important that is to get his opponents guessing. I think he's so smooth. I know Jay's making fun of us for doing the Basalis game, and then me picking against Basalis would be really funny, especially say we, we, we went him going up the line of rankings, then mm-hmm. I pick someone unranked to beat him. To me, this is one of those fights like, why'd you make this fight? Both guys should be taking on those guys on the bottom of 15, taking those guys out, not facing each other. Give me Tamar Valley. If this is my seventh upset, this is like my third massive upset too. Like I, I'm picking some plus 200, plus 300, plus 400. I like Tamar Valley. Uh, give me Valley by split decision and another good fight. With that, we come to the co-main event of UFC Vegas 30. It is a heavyweight matchup between Tanner Bozer and Ovent St. Pru. Bozer, the 29-year-old Canadian, is 19-8-1 overall. He's 3-3 three three since joining the UFC uh, in late 2019. Most recently, he appeared just uh, 
good goodness, it'll be three weeks ago by fight night, uh, dropping a split decision to Alir Latifi at UFC fight night Rosenstrike versus Sakai. Uh, previous to that, he lost a unanimous decision to Andre Arlovsky uh, back last November. Uh, he'll be taking on St. Prue. The longtime light heavyweight contender uh, is back at heavyweight. He is 25 and 15 overall. He is 13 and 10 in the UFC. Uh, he's been alternating wins and losses for the last two years or so. Most recently, he got knocked out in the second round uh, by Jamal Hill at UFC on ESPN, Hermanson versus Vittori last uh, December. Before that, uh, he knocked out Alonzo Menafield at UFC Fight Night 176 in September. Uh, Bozer is the slight favorite here. He is minus 165, where you can get OSP at plus 145. I don't get this at all. There are so many things about this fight I don't get. I don't get why it's the co-main event, as you mentioned off-air between uh, segments. I Frankly, I don't get that OSP is the underdog. Uh, I don't get anything about this fight. Uh, if I were a betting man, and I am not, except in very rare circumstances, I would not touch Obit St. Prue fights with a 10-foot pole. I mean, the guy has hung around and been a, you know, contender at light heavyweight for over a decade, in spite of being just one of the most wildly inconsistent guys in the history of the sport at this high level. Like, he's a guy who, on any given night, could beat just about anybody, and on any given night could just lay an absolute egg. And I'm talking about all the way back to his days in, in strike force, you know, through, you know, he put it together enough decent wins to get himself a shot in an interim title against John Jones. That's kind of the, I mean, the, the high watermark of, of his career from a competitive sense. He's now, is he 37, 30, 38? He's 38 years old. He's the other guy I was uh, talking about kind of like um, Yancey Medeiros, where for so long, you couldn't draw a bead on his career just because he would get a bad loss. Like, yeah, he got like smoked by Nikita Krylov, but you, know, you can't place too much faith in that. It's just OSP. I don't know that it's just OSP anymore. Like, he's starting to actually look like he's lost a step. It was just always hard to tell because he was so inconsistent, even at his best. He's never had a real coherent game that came together. Like, his... Game is a weird mix of haymakers, head kicks, and low percentage submissions, you know, on on the ground. I mean, he has more than just the Von, you know, the Von Flu choke. Like he actually is kind of a an opportunistic and nasty grappler. Like uh, his three minutes of madness against Tyson Pedro was my round of the year in 2018. Uh, brutal ground and pound, you know. Like he doesn't get the opportunity to use it that often because if you know you're rolling on round on the ground he's looking for a shoulder choke or a kimura or something but a brutal ground and pound when he uses it but there's no glue there's no mortar in between these bricks like his game has never really come together it's just he's so physically gifted and his the things he does well he does so well that he's been a top 10 fighter for a decade until recently having said that i don't understand why tanner bozer is the favorite like i the buzz about bozer after he, uh, you know, won two in a row against, you know, Linz and Pessoa. I understood that because, yeah, he lost to Surreal Gone, but, hey, you know what? Surreal Gone is one fight away from a title shot, probably, as we're about to discuss. Other than that, he beat Daniel Spitz, beat Felipe Linz, beat Pessoa, but the whole way, he was losing weight. He was just physically looking better. 
He was, you know, an active, light on his feet guy for a heavyweight, threw lots of low kicks, which not enough heavyweights do. Like, I could understand, like, wow, you know, this guy's part of that youth movement at heavyweight. Maybe we'll see him on the fringes of the top 15 in another fight or two. And then he stopped doing everything that got him to the dance. Against Arlovsky and Latifi, he's just looked flat. And he's, like, just not the same movement, kind of stopped throwing his kicks, just has become this kind of reactive fighter. Like, if you are willing to get in the cage with Oban St. Preux and, and wait for him to do what he wants, he's still plenty capable of knocking your block off. And, you know, I, I say I'm not going to touch this fight with a 10-foot pole, but I'm surprised Bozer is the favorite, and I do favor uh, St. Preux to win. Uh, yeah, I mean, give me the slight upset. Give me Ovin St. Preux by second-round submission. Maybe it's the uh, old Von Pruchok makes one final appearance before, you know, he just kind of makes his way out of the UFC in whatever weight class he chooses to, you know, to ride into the sunset. Yeah, um... This is an intriguing fight. I, I think it's a terrible co-main event. I mean, you got guys like the fight we just talked about, Valiev and, and Barcelos, the guys who, you know, Barcelos is on this huge winning streak. Like, it's like a stop with it just adds heavyweight, so it has to be way up there matchup. Like, just stop with it. Like, give us the best fighters. Anyways, get off my soapbox, back to the fight. Uh, St. Peter's, um, obviously, he's a true veteran of the sport. Um, he, he has shown signs of decline. He's... Uh, they always talk about him, you know, the NCAA football player is this great athlete, but he's really not in the cage. He's flat-footed, um, kind of slow. But he's a counter-striker. He loves his feedback shot, like his feedback left hand he likes. He throws a lot of kicks, as you mentioned. Uh, decent power. I haven't seen it translate to heavyweight yet. Um, he keeps this even though he's he's slowed down he's inconsistent he keeps fighting he keeps putting himself in position to fight getting beaten like he's been rocked so many times and somehow got a takedown and won a fight i think about like um the Olasajic fight like Olasajic was putting it on him and then he still found a way to get himself in a position to win uh he does really stay composed and has big heart he's he's a good grappler like he, i agree that his striking is really faded and his athleticism really faded but his grappling's still there. He can sneak in a takedown, and obviously, as you mentioned with the uh, uh, who was it, Alex Caceres, uh, you know, being Von Fluchoked. I'm uh, not Caceres, mm-hmm. uh, Caralexis, uh, Caralexis, yeah. uh, yeah. being Von Fluchoked. That's you know, you have this Ovin Saint Pruchoke, uh, the Von Pruchoke. That's like his specialty. If he gets you down, he can submit you. Move over to Tana Bojo, and we just saw him fight. He's pretty fast for a heavyweight. He's pretty elusive, nice movement, uses a lot of lateral movement, uses feints well, but just kind of pops jab. He wants to win a fight by just jabbing and, and moving. He's not a big hitter for heavyweight, doesn't, doesn't really have big heavyweight power. Uh, I, I said just jab. He wants to throw a leg kick, still, so jab and a leg kick. He's a weak defensive wrestler, and we saw that in, in his last fight against Ilo Latifi. Struggles to get back to his feet, and he shows no urgency. He he said in his pre-fight interview he lost to Andre Lousy because he didn't have any urgency. And then he's in a close fight with Ilo Latifi, gets taken down, and he just stands in close guard. I shouldn't say stand, lays in close guard yeah. for pretty much five minutes. In a close fight where you, you know you get to your feet and you let some shot, you're probably gonna win it. And he showed nothing. He showed nothing to get up. That's disturbing. I'm 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 very hesitant to make a pick. Like I'm very hesitant. Like one, do I trust St. Pru giving up size advantage? Do I trust St. Pru against anybody? He's very head scratching guy. He's very uh, tough. But I, I've got off that Tanner Bozer 
bandwagon. It, he's just a play it safe. He's just a guy that's going to want to play it safe. And while St. Prue isn't the offensive wrestler that Illatifi is, he's a much better submission grappler. He's much more threatening. And I'm with you, man. I think St. Prue gets this to the fight. And I actually think he's going to get a submission too. And I think it's going to be early. So I uh, give me second round submission also. And this is my eighth upset pick of the night. Eight, eight, there we out go. Of, eight out of 12 right now? So, yep, 8 out of 12. And we will find <laughs> out in a moment if that train keeps a rolling. Which brings us to the main event of UFC Fight Night 170. It is a high-stakes heavyweight matchup. Not explicitly a title eliminator, but quite possibly a title eliminator featuring Surreal Gan and Alexander Volkov. Gan, the 31-year-old Frenchman, is a perfect 8-0 in his mixed martial arts career. He is a perfect 4-0 since, my apologies, he is a perfect 5-0 since joining the UFC uh, just in 2019. Uh, fought most recently in February, taking a very clear unanimous decision over Jairzinho Rosenstrike in a fight that was not terribly exciting to watch, but uh, gave him a leg up in his first win over an absolute you know, top 10 fighter. Prior to that, he knocked out uh, Junior Dos Santos, took a lopsided decision over Tanner Bozer, submitted Dante Mays with a heel hook of all things, and in his uh, UFC debut all the way back in August of 2019, uh, choked out Rafael Pessoa with an arm triangle in the first round. He'll be taking on Volkov, the 32-year-old Russian, the former Bellator heavyweight champion, the former M1 heavyweight champion, 33-8. and eight. Seven and two in the UFC. Fought most recently in February, giving uh, Alistair Overeem his walking papers from the UFC in the form of a second round TKO. Before that, uh, he knocked out Walt Harris uh, in the second round at UFC 254 back last October. That uh, got him back on track after his second UFC loss, which was a lopsided unanimous decision to uh, Curtis Blades. Odds on this one? Uh, favorite con, the, the, the young stud minus 170. You can get uh, Volkov at plus 150 as the, uh, as the, as the slight underdog. I'm, I'm going to tee this up for you, for your, your pick, but I'm just going to point out Alexander Volkov. He is a former champion in really probably the second and third best heavyweight divisions in the sport. Uh, he is. A, basically a perennial top 10 guy in the UFC. The, his only losses are to Curtis Blades by a lopsided like takedown clinic that is exactly what Curtis Blades has done to everybody not named Francis Ngannou, and then to Derek Lewis with 10 seconds left in a fight he was otherwise uh, about to win. And other than that, it's all been pretty easy victories for him against some top 10 guys and even a couple of like the greatest heavyweights in the history of the sport. And for that, what does he get? He gets second billing and to be the betting underdog against an 8-0 guy who only started training like less than four years ago. I'm not saying it's unjustified. I'm just saying it must really sting. Tell me what you think about this fight. That's <laughs> funny. He, tell me what so... you think about this fight. Like who wins and how and tell me what you think about any of that. Yeah, like uh, he's the Russian Don Rodney Dangerfield of of uh, heavyweight division. Do you think? Uh, yeah, Volkov, he he's a 
I get why he doesn't get a lot of buzz because he's he's not flashy. He's just a technically sound striker who is very accurate. We've talked about that in the past. Um, we we keep talking about that. Like, he's this obviously massive tall. That's his thing that jumps out to him. We've talked about these other guys tall on the card that likes to, you know, crash the pocket and not keep his range. That's not Volkov. He understands range. He keeps his range well. He does all those things to keep his range. He's like, take down like um, the, the Greg Hardy fight. I know that's not the fairest comparison, uh, but yeah, he systematically just broke down Greg Hardy at range. He uses his jab. He throws straight punches down the pipe. He works the body with teep kicks and step in knees. Uh, he did that to Walt Harris in their fight. If you get inside on him, he doesn't let you stay there. He uses movement really well to get back into range. He's he's also very disciplined. And we've talked about this in the past. Uh, like we said when we were previewing his fight uh, against Harris and over him, he stays loyal to a game plan. He knows what he needs to do to win, and he won't vary from it. He knows he, he you can tell he studies. He'll play it safe if he's got ahead. Like obviously didn't work out the Derek Lewis with Laris came back and knocked him out. But generally speaking, it works out for him. He doesn't take chances. He's just gonna jab. He's gonna move. He's gonna throw a teep kick. And what I love about it, he doesn't get tired because he just unloads uh, when the opening presents itself. He's just touching the whole time, and that's all he needs. When you're what's he? What is he? Six foot nine, six foot ten, whatever. He's I mean he's way up there. Um, he's he officially just, six foot seven, but I mean. Oh, he's six foot. Oh, all right, all right. Well, that, but see, not, they list him as six foot seven, but you can tell that he really is. It's not like you know when they said you know Shane Carwin was six five, and then he's like two inches shorter than than Brock Lesnar. Like, yeah, Volkov so, is for real, for real. Yeah, yeah. So when you're six foot seven, like you don't have to land the biggest shot. Like you're you're coming from a different angle. You're going to land power, even if you're not trying. Um, and he's got a solid chin. Other than Derek, like the two, you know, his two losses, the two things that stand out is his chin, but that's Derek Lewis hitting him. Other than Derek Lewis, no one else has been able to hurt him. And then the takedown defense against Curtis Blades in the five rounds. Like he, I, mean, I know he got taken down by uh, Roy Nelson, and he's got taken down all the fights. But, you know, Curtis Blades was the only one that did that. And it changed at the end. Like, Curtis Blades started gassing, and Volko started coming on late. I mean, he, he kind of ran out of time, and and, and it was obviously a, a great performance by Curtis Blades. But all in all, um, I think I think Volkov is really disrespecting him. Then we were surreal gone. Now gone, as you mentioned, he's only been in the sport for four years. But the reason why he's at this level, like heavyweight is the only division where you can be such a superior athlete. You know, we saw Brock Lesnar, you mentioned him a second ago. Brock Lesnar, you know, rose to heavyweight champion because of his athleticism. And that and that's the kind of level of athlete surreal gone is. He's I mean, he's a fantastic rapper. I mean, a, a fantastic athlete. That says he does have a lot of technical skills. Uh, I mean, one, he's very quick, he's very elusive, great footwork. Can fight from both stances, but he's got good vision. He's got high output striking. Usually, you know, the the Rosenstruck was not the best example. He kind of took what Rosenstruck gave him. But generally speaking, he's got some good output. He's accurate. I love that he uses feints well. He likes to jab. He actually likes to double the jab, which we never see in MMA. Uh, beautiful overhand right. He throws combinations. Um, I like that he changes stances mid combo to get a different angle. Very few fighters, like the highest level, Anson Silver and, and Israel Asanya, like those guys do that. Not, not many. Other. And TJ Dillashaw was another guy who would do something like that. Uh, goes to the body, crushes the body. Got good, good, just raw power. Uh, I like his front kick. He, he throws front kicks, body kicks, leg kicks, step in knees, uh, decent takedowns, good ground and pound. 
he is a submission threat. He's got eight wins, but three of them have come by, you know, way of submission. Almost 50% of his wins are by submission. So as far as prediction goes, I really like both these guys. It's um, I understand what you're saying about Volkov being disrespected, you know, being the more experienced guy, having beaten the better competition, you know, been in bigger fights. I get I get that part, but I get the part where many people have been talking up Cyril Gaon saying that he's, you know, the next big thing. He's the next champion. He, I definitely think of the two of them. He has the higher ceiling. If it's a if it's a absolute blowout, I expect it to be Cyril Gaon blowing out Volkov. But here's my issue. I've seen I've seen Volkov handle guys. And he can just stand at range, time gone coming in. And if Gon doesn't have an answer for his range, he doesn't have an answer for the team kicks, he doesn't have an answer for the jab. I can see Volkov winning a boring, very Alexander Volkov decision. And I haven't seen Cyril Gon beat someone on Volkov's level. Like I don't think Jarzino Roser is on Alexander Volkov's level. And this is a very like corny cop out, but until he does, I'm picking against him. Like this is a step up in competition, and this is my ninth upset pick of the night. We got what thirteen fights. I'm taking nine upsets. I'm taking Volkov to win by decision. Now I realized I didn't give a best bet. Um, I was put one on. I changed it halfway through the fight. So this is my best bet. I give you nine freaking upsets, guys. Like there's enough. Like I don't like I say here's my lock. I give you nine upsets. Just pick one of them, and and if you that one hits, you'll get your money. So th- there you go. Those are those are my picks. There you go. Fantastic nine upset picks. Uh, we've disagreed a lot on this card. Uh, we've both picked some upsets. Uh, you've picked more of them than I have. This is one where we are going to agree, and we're going to agree on the upset. Uh, I mean, all of that that I kind of fed out there in the intro was my thought process as I was, you know, prepping for this and really just, I was trying to talk myself into, okay, why is gone? You know, like why is gone a favorite? Like what do these folks see that I'm not seeing? I think, and for the record, I still think gone is part of the future of the division. And I still think he's quite possibly a future champ. Like I'm not written him off in the least, but I think we've gotten kind of the wrong bead on him, you know, Came into the UFC with some, you know, he, he had already had some fast finishes. He got another fast finish. But he's not Nganu or Rosenstrike or Carwin, you know, in just that come out like a house on fire and just, you know, knock somebody out ASAP. He's always been a little more poised and composed than that. Like, the Rosenstrike fight, you know, not fun to watch, but he realized that, you know, hey, I can freeze this guy with nothing but a jab and leg kicks. Then why would I not do just that? I would be a sucker not to do that. Like, if if he doesn't like it, he can do something about it. Rosenstrike never did. He won the fight. Uh, until the until the end, I felt like the Dos Santos fight was that way a little bit. Like, Gon's willing to wait. Uh, that that's him. He's he's not a Shane Carwin that just runs out and just you know like Donkey Kong's people. I think that when he takes on Volkov, the the dynamic of the Rosenstrike fight is going to be kind of flipped on him. Like, Volkov will be the one saying, you know, this is what I've got. Like, if you can get past it, great. Otherwise, I'm going to be winning these rounds. You know, Volkov's, Volkov's good at winning rounds. It's not always pretty, but at the end of a Volkov round, 
you know who landed more strikes, you know who felt like he was in control. And being able to win rounds is an underestimated skill. There are great fighters who aren't good at it. Volkov is good at it. I think he's going to do it. I don't know how this fight would look if they run it back, you know, two or three years from now after each of them, but especially Gone has had a couple more fights. But this is, I, I think this is Volkov's time. Uh, give me, give, give me Alexander Volkov by decision. I think he just, he uses his weapons. He uses his, his uh, jab. He uses his kicks. If his takedown defense comes into play, I think it's going to be good enough. And I just think he wins three, maybe even four rounds and uh, survives and advances. It's not going to have anybody screaming for him to get the next title shot, but it's going to get harder and harder to deny him. Unless you have anything else to add, that's it. 13 fights up, 13 down. This this might be one of the most wild ones we've done. <laughs> I think it's the wildest. I, mean, I have no question. I mean, we had... I mean, I had nine upsets. You had way. You had a lot of. How many upsets did you pick? You uh, offhand, I probably got six. Like I yeah, probably got six, half the card. Seven, six yeah. or seven out of out of thirteen fights. I mean, you're at halfway mark. I mean, that's insane. How many fights did we disagree on? Like eight, oh, nine. No, different you know fights? what? I've got, <laughs> I've got five upsets on the on the main card. Five out of six main card fights. I'm picking the upset. Like the only favorite I took was Barcelos. Yeah, I mean, this so I've is got five, I, I've got at least seven or eight, six or seven. Well, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got we got a boatload of upsets, and then we picked a whole bunch different than each other. Uh, this is this is this is going to be a fun recap. Yep, going to be a especially lot of fun, when, especially when we would spend ten minutes on who Barcelos could be ahead of him in the rankings. Just about Jay <laughs> Jay Pesci special. All right, speaking of recap, that is the conclusion of the Sherdog sure Radio preview for UFC Fight Night One Ninety. Gone versus Volkov, also known as UFC Vegas 30. Uh, for Keith Schillen, I'm Ben Duffy, uh, both of SureDog.com. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the fights. And make sure to check us out right after the main event, either on the SureDog front page or directly on the SureDog YouTube page, as we will be recapping this card live, uh, taking your questions, comments, taking any input. Uh, we've been really excited the last couple weeks to have quite a bit of interaction from the comment section. Keep in mind, this is an early card. It starts at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we'll probably be on air by like 7 or you know 7.30 or something. Uh, so yeah, you'll, you'll get some uh, violence for lunch and some talk for dinner. For Keith Schillen, I'm Ben Duffy. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>